right. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. And uh, we're live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, here until 4 o'clock. Coming up on a Wednesday, it's a Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. Um, um, We are going to be joined in just a few minutes by Dr. Bradley Garrett, who's the author of Bunker, Building for the End Times. He's a social and cultural geographer, uh, an expert on exploration in urban politics and subterranean space. Uh, the book is him going into the world of uh, uh, end-of-world pre- preppers uh, who have uh, fully stocked bunkers and all kinds of stuff. It's a, it's a fascinating world that uh, Dr. Bradley Garrett um, uh, explores in the book Bunker. Um, he also has you know explored a bunch of things, um, and uh, he, he's, he is actually called a place hacker, and we'll find out exactly what that means. Uh, John uh, John Stanglin is going to join us. Uh, he is the owner of Atlas Comics. Um, he's been on uh, before, and uh, we'll see how uh, business is going uh, during this weird time for Atlas uh, Comics. And if you're a comic book fan, this is a uh, this is a guy who who knows his stuff and who has a great store. And I know a lot of people. Last time we had uh, John on, a lot of people called in and um, and are just huge fans of this comic book store. It's at 5251 North Harlem in Chicago, um, and it's Atlas Comics, and we'll talk with John. And then uh, Craig Glenday is going to join us. He's the editor-in-chief of the Guinness World Records, the Guinness Book of World Records. The Guinness Book of World Records 2021 arrives on September 3rd. Um, He's the editor-in-chief. It's a book series that sold more than 130 copies since 2005 alone. So I love Guinness World Records. I love the Guinness Book of World Records. I just think it's so much fun. It's really cool. And there's a lot of weird stuff in it, too. So we'll talk all about that with Craig, John, uh, John Stanglin from, the, uh, from Atlas Comics. And in just a few minutes, uh, Dr. Bradley Garrett, the author of Bunker, Building for the End Times. Uh, also, we play back a classic comedy uh, from Johnny Carson. Since we have a, we have a guest on in the 2 o'clock hour, we're gonna, we, we usually do it at 2.30. But we're going to push it up to 1.30 um, this morning. Um, Johnny Carson show, you can watch it on antenna TV every night. And, uh, we always play back some classic clips. It's usually some stand up or, uh, an interview or a sketch. Uh, the very funny and brilliant a Whitney Brown, um, is going to be featured, uh, tonight, uh, from 1985. He was a regular on Saturday night live and did, um, really smart and very funny updates, uh, during weekend update. He would do, he would do bits during weekend update. Uh, we're going to talk about um, stores or products or brands that you wish would return because CompUSA comes back from the dead and is going to bring you some tech deals. And we're also going to talk about some other products and brands that came back from the dead, things that you like. We're going to talk about life before the internet and before cell phones. We'll reflect a little bit on that too. And uh, we got a round of Know Your Onion. We always do that at 3.30 every uh, Wednesday uh, morning. And... Um, yeah, Know Your Onion is uh, when uh, we get two contestants on. First two people calling in at 312-981-7200 will be the contestants. Tom will read some news headlines, and then you have to decide whether you think they're real or they're from the satirical newspaper, The Onion, because uh, news is a little weird now. It's a little weird, and so sometimes it's difficult to tell whether some of these news headlines are uh, are real or they're from The Onion. So we'll do that, Know Your Onion. You can win a prize. You can win some stuff. So... 
again, the, the phone number is 312-981-7200. That's the Team Hochberg phone line. Call us uh, anytime if you would like to join us. Um, <clears throat> quick update on my dad. My dad is uh, still in the hospital, um, and um, we're a little stressed out about it. My mom and I are pretty stressed out about it. Um, he's still in the hospital. Um, they ran more tests. Um, he had a CAT scan done. The results won't be until tomorrow. Um, and uh, so uh, it's uh, it's a little troublesome, but uh, we'll get through this. And uh, and I, I thanks, uh, thank everybody. for I've been putting some updates on my Facebook page about my dad because people were like, how's he doing? Um, he's okay. He just wants to, he wants to go home, but, uh, they have to run a couple more tests and they got to get the, uh, the results of the CAT scan in and then, um, that'll be in and uh, we'll find out what's going on and hopefully he'll be home, uh, by tomorrow night. That's what we're, uh, that's what we're hoping. But anyway, thank you for the, uh, for the thoughts and the concerns and everything. And, um, um, I just want him to, I just want him to be better. I want him to get well and I want him to go home. So, but anyway, uh, for those people who were, you know, um, still, uh, interested in knowing how my dad's doing um he's okay he he you know he he wants to go home but they still have to run some tests they still don't have a lot of answers as to what's going on with his condition so um anyway um you know godspeed to my dad i hope he's okay and i appreciate um all of the uh concern and uh, the people who were saying that they were going to uh, include us in their in their prayers and stuff like that um that's very appreciative i i really 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 appreciate it and so does my dad um, I talked to him about three or four times today, talked to my mom, you know, we're communicating, we're keeping in touch and uh, getting updates from, you know, the doctors and whatever's happening at the hospital. So my dad's still in and hopefully he'll be home um, by tomorrow night and hopefully the results of the CAT scan will be conclusive and, and positive. So uh, that's what's happening um, with my father right now. So uh, phone number is 312-981-7200 if you would like to uh, join us. Um, and, uh, we're going to talk with, um, Dr. Bradley Garrett, who is the author of a book called Bunker Building for the End Times. Uh, really fascinating, uh, uh, topic here that we're going to get into. So, uh, and then, uh, yeah, if you want to join us, it's 312-981-7200. How about that? No hitter. I'm following a no hitter. That's pretty exciting. Um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. I I wasn't even aware that there was a you know that I I it was it was funny I was talking to Krista um who you know is one of the great engineers here and she wasn't even aware of it until the seventh <laughs> until the seventh inning and um but yeah that's really great that's really great very exciting um so uh, Tom were you aware that there was a no hitter going on. Uh, you know, I didn't find, I, I try not to talk about no hitters when they're in progress. Yeah. You're not supposed to, to you're not supposed to mention it, you know, especially if you're on the team, you know what I mean? Like you can't say, Hey, like when the, when the pitcher gets back into the, into the dugout, you can't say, Hey, pretty cool. You got a no hitter going. You can't, you can't do that. That's uh that's frowned upon, but yeah, it's, that's pretty cool. That is uh, that's uh, that's pretty cool to follow a no hitter. Always a lot of fun. So uh, there you go. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is our uh, phone number, and uh, we'll take a break here. Are we uh, are we trying to get a hold of the uh, guest, Tom? We got him. Okay, we were having, I think we, we were having a little difficulty getting a hold of the guest, but I think we got him. He's Dr. Bradley Garrett. He's the author of Bunker Building for the End Times, and it's a book where he explores people who are preppers. 
and Times Preppers and and their bunkers and so on and so forth. And there's a lot more to talk about with uh, Dr. Bradley Garrett. And it's all happening right here on 720 WGN. It's Nick DiGilio, and uh, we continue. Hello, it's Nick DiGilio on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. We're here till 4 o'clock. We're having a hard time getting a hold of Dr. Bradley Garrett, the author of Bunker Building for the End Times. We're still going to try and get a hold of him. But uh, we do have, uh, we moved up, uh, we were going to have him on after midnight, but we're going to have him on now. Dr. or not Dr. John Stanglin. Um, who is the owner of Atlas Comics at 5251 North Harlem. Uh, if you're a fan of comic books and you want to jump in here with a question or a comment, 312-981-7200. Um, and also, if you if you frequent uh, Atlas Comics, and last time John was on, we had a lot of people call in and talk about how much they love this comic book shop. So uh, let's see how John is doing. John, how are you? Doing good, Nick. How are you? All right. Thanks for being uh, flexible and jumping in here early. Oh, no problem. Quite a transition from bunker building to comics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, for, let's reacquaint uh, ourselves with uh, the Atlas Comics. Tell us about how long it's been there and, uh, and how it opened and all that. Okay. Well, uh, Atlas has been in business basically in the same neighborhood on the northwest side of Chicago, first in Norwich and now uh, at the address you gave on Harlem Avenue near Foster uh, since 1988. Um, I've been in the comic business as an owner since 1983, so 37 years in the business and, and 32 years with Atlas Comics in the same neighborhood. So wow. we, we've, we've been around a, sort of a multi-generational business, and, uh, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of people grow up and have their kids and bring their kids in, and so it's it's been a great place to uh, to see how the neighborhood has changed yeah. and people come and go. It must be fun. It must be fun to see... You know, someone that uh, that used to come in years and years ago, and now they've got a kid, and now their kid is being turned on to it. That must be really gratifying and fun. Oh, yeah. It's great because, you know, we all have hobbies that we love, whether it's sports or movies or comics or, you know, whatever it might be. And to see the stuff that we love passed on to the next generation kind of know Okay, that's going to survive. That's We're creating new fans here. We're creating people who love the same things we did. That's invaluable yeah because otherwise stuff is just gonna go away you know yeah 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 well it's uh it's it's really it's really great wow that's a that's a that's a nice long stretch always on the northwest side huh yeah i mean this is you know i i grew up in the austin district around north avenue and and laramie and i was there for years and years and then kind of moved to further north in the city and this is just where most of my family lit and stayed you know i spent a little time at evanston but Really, this kind of northwest area has been where the family's congregated, where I've lived, where I've done business all this time. Yeah, northwest side. I'm a northwest sider. Uh, oh, yeah? John, yeah, absolutely. So are, so are my folks. They live over near uh, the Patio Theater. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. in the patio a million times. Yep, yeah, they live right right, right around the corner from the patio. Uh, I've been there yeah. for, for many years. So, But, uh, yeah, good old northwest side. 
Um, right. Yeah. So how long, I mean, you obviously were into comics when you were a kid, correct? Oh, sure. Yeah. How'd that start for you? Well, probably like a lot of people, in a way, like what we were just talking about. My brothers are all older than me. I'm I'm the youngest by 11 years. So I have a brother five years older, 10 years older, and 11 years older. And, you know, I wound up with hand-me-downs from them, whether it was clothes or comics. Yeah. Um, so that's where it started. I'm, I'm going to blame it on them. <laughs> and and uh, I probably still have a lot of those comics that they abandoned at some point, and they became part of my collection and, and stayed ever since. Yeah. And do, do you remember the first title that you really loved, the, the first one that got you? <laughs> yeah, probably the Fantastic Four. The I don't know if it is the first comic that I read, but the first comic that I think I read was Fantastic Four Annual Number 4, which came out in 1966. I would have been five at that time. So, of course, one of my brothers brought it and bought it and brought it into the house. And that's just the story that I remember. It it, it revived the old Human Torch. If people don't know it, you know, the Human Torch is part of the Fantastic Four. But in the Golden Age of Comics in the 1940s, there was a Human Torch that was different than the one that was in the Fantastic Four. So this story sort of brought that character back. And that probably seeded the mythology of comics of like, oh, this is not just an individual story, but it goes back into history. It, it, it you know, it has a continuity, and there was there was something about that that really attracted me. Yeah, well, the Fantastic Four, uh, you know, you got a lot to choose from there. You know, there's four different superheroes, right? Exactly, and all very different in temperament and their powers and and the way those characters interact. So, it. it it really imprinted deeply on me, and I think uh, a lot of people out there know, of course, Stan Lee, who passed away fairly recently, yeah. who was the real big moving force in Marvel Comics, and Jack Kirby, who was the primary artist and one of the major architects of that stuff. And, the, and those two men did that story, and it was beautiful and exciting, and it just, you know, kicked me off on a, on a life of collecting and making my living at it and being able to, you know have a home and travel around the world all through the magic of comics. Uh, did your older brothers stay uh, hooked on comics, or did they, they move on to something else and you were the only one in the family that really jumped into it? Yeah, that that's it. I mean, yeah. uh, the brothers, you know, they, they took kind of the standard arc of most people. It's like you read them for a while, and then you get interested in other stuff, whether that's cars or, you know, girls or whatever. And, uh, yeah, they, they moved on. They they still remember that stuff and appreciate it, um, but they definitely did not stick with it. And even though my brother's kids, my nieces and nephews, really not too many of them are, are particularly into it. So it's, it's kind of, it is still, even though we're now in this uh, era of the Marvel movies and the DC movies and very mainstream success, yeah. it still is kind of a niche of people who really love the comics and love the history of it. Yeah. Now, I mean, it, it, there, there, it is. I mean, and, and besides the big box office success for these for these movies, uh, comic book collectors are of a different... Wouldn't you say they're of a different breed? They are. Yeah. And I think you know, co- co- collectors in general are probably of a different breed when we think about you know sports collectors, whether they're cards or memorabilia or what have, or, or what have you. But the comic people... I think tend to be maybe more of an intellectual type, maybe people who become librarians or scientists or artists or what have you. Um, so it is, 
it is pretty unique. I mean, I think these are generally very smart people and very meticulous people. They love to keep their collections in order and fill up those holes. And uh, so it is a unique breed. They're, they're very, they can be eccentric, but they're also very, very smart. Exactly. And, and it's all, it's all people from all types of, uh, you know, all, all types of backgrounds can be comic book collectors. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. I mean, I have, I've had customers over the years who are professional people, doctors, lawyers, dentists. One of my one of my close friends who I met through the store is a dentist. He's now my dentist, uh-huh. uh, and um, you know, uh, there's also uh, just every kind of person you can imagine. As we were just talking about, yeah. artists, writers, professional people, uh, you know, people who work. Uh, you know, in all different fields. So it's it's very democratic, that's yeah. for sure. Okay. Uh, we're talking with John Stanglin. He's the owner of Atlas Comics, which you can go to at uh, 5251 North Harlem. They're open Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, noon to 7 p.m., Saturday, noon to 5 p.m., Sunday, noon to 4 p.m., and Monday, Tuesday, you're closed, correct, John? Yes, that's that's my those are my days to recharge. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. All right, uh, if you uh, have gone to uh, Atlas Comics or you're a comic book fan or you have a comic book question, we have an expert here. And uh, if you would like to jump in, we would love to hear from you. It's three one two nine eight one seven two hundred three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. And uh, John, we have a caller. His name is Matt. Hi, Matt. Hello, folks. Uh, Nick, really quick before we get started, I hope your dad gets better. Now. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, so, sir, let me ask. Um, you know, DC. I, it's hard to describe what DC's mental state is at the moment. DC Comics, yes. for those of you who are considering not Washington. Um, so, you know, I've been collect. I, I've been reading Green Lantern and uh, the Flash since the start of the New Fifty Two. Mm-hmm. They have never, ever, ever left my pull list. Are they planning on going straight digital with those, or are the big seven still staying print and then everything else is digital? Well, this is a subject of deep speculation among everybody. For listeners who may not be aware, obviously DC is one of the two major American comic companies. They produce the Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, Flash franchises. And um, a few months ago, they decided to change the distribution model for um, comic shops and retail. And there has been a there have been a lot of rumors about the possibility of them abandoning print comics. Um, it does seem like they are thinking more and more in that area that they may go digital first and then do the print afterwards. Traditionally, it's always been the other way around, that print comes out first and then the digital follows later. Uh, but there's been no definitive answer. I, I would think that they are going to continue print at least for the near future, the next year to two years. But again, if people aren't aware, DC Comics was kind of uh, gathered up in the AT&T Time Warner merger. So AT&T, who now owes something like $150 billion uh, in its acquisition of Time Warner, which DC is part, um, I think they're just looking for money. They're looking to squeeze the bottom line everywhere they can, and DC is part of that. So my simple answer to your question is, I don't really know, but for the near future, I think print is safe. Let's see what happens after that. All right, Matt, thanks for the call, sir. Thank you, sir, and I'll stop by the shop. 
tomorrow. <laughs> Great, thank you. I'll uh, see you then. There you go. Okay, Matt. Again, we're talking with John Stanglin. Uh, if you have any questions about comic books um, and uh, and the comic book world, if you are a uh, visitor and a customer from Atlas Comics, we would also love to hear from you. And Atlas Comics, again, is located at 5251 North Harlem Avenue. Um, and... Um, and John, you got a you got a website that people can visit? Yes, www.acomics, so a c o m i c s acomics.com. acomics.com. www.acomics.com. Um right. so there you go. John, hold on, okay? All right, John Stanglin yeah. is with us, um, owner of Atlas Comics. If you have any questions or comments about comic books, if you're a comic book collector or a fan, uh, if you are a customer, uh, at Atlas Comics, and I know that they have a lot of loyal, loyal customers um, that uh, that go to uh, Atlas Comics. Um, we would love to hear from you. It's Nick DiGiulio, and it's 312-981-7200, 312-981-7200. We'll talk more with John about comics and comic books and Atlas Comics uh, coming right up here on uh, WGN. Uh, but, but first, we have to take a uh, quick break here because we've got uh, uh, some news right here. I'm not like this, I'm really kind of shy, but I get this feeling whenever you walk by. All right. Hello. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline studio on a Tuesday night into a Wednesday morning. Uh, we did get a hold of Dr. Bradley Garrett, the author of Bunker Building for the End Times, and he's going to join us after midnight. So we are going to have him on to talk about his book, Bunker. Um, and also coming up a little bit later on, Craig Glende, who is the uh, editor-in-chief of the Guinness World Records. The Guinness Book of World Records. I uh, can't wait to get him on. He's the the new uh, edition is coming out in September, September third, the 2021 edition. I have uh, with me here the Guinness World Record book for 2020, and uh, we'll get into that uh, as well. Uh, Life before the internet. We're going to talk a little bit about that, and uh, because CompUSA came back from the dead, giving you some tech deals. We're going to talk about stores and products um, that you wish would return, or ones that you wish would go away. And then there are some products and brands that came back from the dead. So we'll talk about that too. All with you. Yes, you. 312-981-7200. We are talking with John Stanglin, who is the owner of Atlas Comics. Great comic book shop on the northwest side of Chicago at 5251 North Harlem. Um, and you can uh, check out acomics.com. That's their website. Uh, hello, John. Hello, how's it going? Okay, uh, we have uh, another person on the line. Again, if you want to join us, if you're a comic book fan, you have a comic book question, or if you frequent Atlas Comics, we'd love to hear from you. 312-981-7200. Here's Patrick on WGN. Hi, Patrick. Hey. Uh, I, yes, I'm a frequent customer of John's, but I'm also a former co-worker of his for, uh, at Now Comics. We were both there for two bankruptcies. Uh, I was staff, and he was a freelance inker. Oh, you remember that there, John? Uh, yes, of course. I, I've kept in touch with Patrick ever since. In fact, I just saw him a few days ago, so we've uh, 
We've known each other a long time now, back to probably the early 90s, uh, I would guess. Wow. I think 89 is when I joined now. That's so when you joined. There you go. Okay, so yeah, uh, even earlier than I thought. Wow, that's a long, yeah, that, that's a long time yeah, knowing. That, that was that was a million years ago during my uh, my temporary comic book freelance career. Oh, so, uh, yeah. uh, so Patrick, uh, what do, do you, you go to uh, Atlas pretty regularly to get your comics? Yes, I'm uh, one of those uh, guys who John pulls the books, and then I come in and give him cash, and then he gives me my books. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, by the way, that's that's something a lot of people should do. They should pay in cash because uh, comic shops, and I think John will agree, are always on sort of tight margins. Mm-hmm. I know it's great to use a credit card, but you know if you can pay in cash, that's just a little more for the comic shop to keep. Yeah. Which is important. We want to keep these stores, these independent businesses open. It's been a, it's been a rough go because of many things, in, including the pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah, there, and there, there's John no doubt about it. That the... go, go ahead, ahead Pat. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, and John could probably suggest a very good reading list for the guy with the bunker <laughs> when he gets on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if the end times come, I've got a lot of reading material for people You're, to take with them. Yeah, you'll be all set. Yeah, everybody yeah. will be set. Get your comics and stack them up and be ready to read. Uh, right. Patrick, do you have a favorite title? Oh, uh, let's see. Currently, trying to think right now. Uh, there's a there was uh, a couple of uh, independent books I liked. Uh, there's one that's a little more adult. It's uh, called Money Shot. It's a science fiction uh, book for adults. It's it's uh, about uh, astronauts or uh, scientists who fund a uh, project by. Uh, basically uh, doing adult stuff on camera to fund this Stargate. <laughs> and it's by an independent company, and that, that's a fun read. Yeah. And then um, uh, I'm trying to think what else has been recently grabbing my attention. Oh, Immortal Hulk is a good one from Marvel. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, it's the Hulk, but sort of seen through a more horror-style uh, uh, lens. Oh, that's cool. So, oh, it's very cool. Yeah. It's... It, uh, it, it's been very popular. I guess it's actually coming to an end, not because it's not popular, but because the uh, author has decided, you know, there's a time to end it. Yeah. So, but it's a very good series. Okay. All right, cool. Patrick, thanks for uh, thanks for calling in. Good to hear from you. Oh, thanks. Okay, take care. Uh, Patrick uh, is one of, your, uh, one of your regulars, huh, John? Patrick is a regular, and as I said, I've known him for a long time. Back, uh, I don't know how many people will remember the publisher now, Comics, one of Chicago's few comic book publishers, and they put out things like uh, Speed Racer and Green Hornet and Fright Night. Um, if people know who Alex Ross is, the the very well known illustrator at Marvel and DC, painter, he's done the poster for the Academy Awards. He's done TV Guide covers. He's from Chicago, and he started at Now Comics. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now you were working in the comic world, though. You, they, they, uh, Patrick mentioned that you were an inker. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, everybody knows inkers as tracers, which, which yeah. is essentially what the job is. You know, go, going over the pencilers' uh, line work with ink so that it's reproducible, and it is. It does require some artistic talent, and it does require, you know, a good facility with. Uh, you know, good technique with uh, ink work. And I started out kind of wanting to be a penciler, but kind of got shoved in towards the inking. And it was, you know, it was a good career for, I don't know, 16 or 17 years. I worked regularly and, you know, was able to 
put down a down payment for a house. And it was a lot of fun because when I was a kid, that is really what I wanted to do. I wanted to be the artist, the person who created the comics. And I never quite reached the high highs, but I was there. You know, I was yeah. up in the Marvel offices. I worked for Marvel and DC and Image Comics and, you know, a number of other people. So it was fun. It was a little childhood dream fulfilled. Didn't they, uh, didn't they mention that in one of the Jay and Silent Bob movies? Yeah, it's in Chasing Amy. Chasing Amy, um, right? Yeah, that's right. Right, where they where they use the tracer as as a real pejorative. Right, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a, it's a great scene, and I mean it is largely true. I mean we're kind of the the bottom rung of the creative area of comics, yeah. but uh, you know what? Like I said, it was just it was still fun to be part of the industry, however small. Wow, that's cool. I'm glad you got to do that. That's really great. That's really yeah. really great. Okay, uh, we couldn't. Uh, speaking of Jay, we just said Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, a listener who was at work, he couldn't stay on the line, but he's listening at work. Uh, Jay asks, what's the most valuable comic book that has passed through your doors? Um, you know, I, I think we talked a little bit about this the last time I was on, but the, the thing that I've had within the last couple of years, strangely enough, was a coverless comic. Usually a coverless comic isn't really worth very much. But I was able to purchase a copy of Detective Comics number 27 without a cover. That is the first appearance of Batman. Um, and when I bought it, I didn't, I, I hate to admit it, I didn't even really know exactly what it was. I'm like, oh, these are early issues of t- Detective Comics. It's probably one of the early appearances of Batman. It wasn't until I took a closer look that I realized uh, what it was. So it was, you know, it went up at auction, and even without a cover, it sold for over $25,000. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Very, very unexpected to me. I, I thought it was the kind of book, well, maybe you can get $1,000 or $2,000 for it. But the price of a, the first appearance of Batman is so astronomically high for a nice copy that most people can never think about buying one. Yeah. So I, I think there are just people who are a little bit lower on the scale who see an opportunity to own a copy no matter what condition it's in, at least, again, a dream that they can fulfill. I always wanted to own one. This is within my price structure. I can get it. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. First appearance of Batman. Yeah. But what, what's the, what is the, I mean, we've talked about this before. What are the holy grails that you wish you could uh, get? Boy, you know, over the years, because I've been at this for so long, there have been a, a lot of things that came through my hands that I wanted, that I was able to keep for myself, uh, because they weren't so expensive 30 and 35 years ago. So the, the books that I really wanted to own when I was young were most of the early Silver Age Marvel books from the 60s. So I wanted a complete run of Thor comics. You know, he started in Journey into Mystery and, and Marvel's version of Thor, still going today. And I did complete that when I was young. I had a his first appearance and, and every succeeding issue. Um, I wanted to have X-Men one. I was able to get a copy again. This is, you know, probably in the early eighties when, you know, it came into the store and I paid a few bucks for it and I could probably have sold it for 50 at the time, but I just held on to it myself. Uh, first appearance of Iron Man in Tales of Suspense 39. So a lot of those books that I really craved when I was younger, I was able to get, yeah. but even back then, Action Comics, number one, with Superman, forget it. Even back then, I couldn't afford it. Yeah, um, yeah. And same thing, Detective 27, all, all those early Golden Age books, Captain America 1, 
I could never afford those yeah. even back then. Yeah. Okay, John, hold on. Uh, John uh, Stanglin is with us. He's the owner of Atlas Comics, 5251 North Harlem Avenue, a great independent comic shop, and you should support them. Uh, and if you're a comic book fan, you need to get out there. It's uh, acomics.com, acomics.com. All right, John and I will continue the conversation, and we would love to hear from you. If you're a comic book collector, if you have a comic book question, if you uh, frequent Atlas Comics on Harlem, 312-981-7200. Hello, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock as we are every weekday morning from uh, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. Coming up at 4, uh, after my show, uh, we uh, go over to Bradley Place on the TV side of WGN, get some early morning news from that great group, and then at 5 o'clock, uh, the legendary Bob Surratt has your morning drive. 312-981-7200. That's our phone number. If you would like to join us, the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. John Stanglin is with me. He is the owner of Atlas Comics at 5251 North Harlem Avenue. We're talking about comic books and the comic book store and so on and so forth. Uh, John, uh, you know, the last time we had you on, uh, Atlas was in a a little bit of uh, needed some help from the community. How are things going now? You know, uh, it turned out very well. You guys were terrific in in helping out with us. Um, you know, raising money through our Indiegogo campaign, it, it went just fine. We were able to meet all our obligations at the store, um, and you know, survive to reopen at the beginning of June. Uh, and things have been returning back to some semblance of normalcy. Kind of the way we're all reacting to the crisis is not exactly normal, but it's semi-normal. Uh, so yeah, it was number one, it was extremely helpful on anybody who's out there, who's listening, who pledged, I thank them. A lot of people have been filtering in and kind of collecting their perks over the last, uh, month or so. And it's great to see people be able to tell them in person, thank you for, for helping us out. So yeah. It, it really worked out well. Well, I'm glad. I'm really, really glad because, you know, uh, uh, independent businesses have been taking a big hit and uh, some, mm-hmm. are, some are closing down. And it's really uh, it's really too bad. We hate to see this happen. And, we, you know, we hope uh, for a better future for, for everybody, especially in the independent uh, business world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the message is for everybody out there who has their favorite local restaurant, whether it's a cow bookstore, <clears throat> independent bookstore or what have you. Uh, get out there and support them. Leave a little extra money behind if you can. If you have it and you're working, great. I mean, let's let's support and keep the things that we love going. Yeah, you know? agreed, John. I'm glad I'm glad things are going well at the at the store for you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, here's Bogey on WGN. Hi, Bogey. Go ahead. Uh, hello. Yes. Go ahead. You're hello. on the air. Uh, I have a. Oh, several comic books it's called classics illustrated mhm uh, uh, you want you want information about classics yes okay um classics illustrated is a really interesting company and an interesting uh story because they're very different than the other companies that that have put out comics over the years classics illustrated as their 
name implies is a company that did a month series of monthly comics. Every issue was an adaptation of a famous novel, so they did things like the Iliad or Wow. Um, oh yeah, they they ran for many many years from the from the early forties until the mid sixties, and so you would read Great Expectations. These, these are the these are the comics that got lots of people through book reports <laughs> who didn't wa- who didn't want to read the novel. Gotcha. You know? Yeah, gotcha. Um, so they lasted quite a long time, and they had some good artists. And the interesting thing about them is they kept their titles in print all the time. the whole The whole time that they existed, they would reprint their titles periodically, periodically, so that you could order them directly from them. So. Let's say in 1940 or 41, they put out an edition for Ben-Hur. Well, 20 years later or 15 years later, you could order the third or fourth or fifth or sixth edition of that comic based on how popular it was. They would keep it in print. So no other comic company ever did that. Yeah. Um, So the thing about classics that you have to be aware of in terms of value is if they are first editions, they're generally worth more money as they were reprinted they become more and more common and they're worth less and less to collectors and the the real quick primer because i don't want to get too deep in the weeds is if you can reorder uh, usually on the back cover the inside back cover there would be ads that tell you you can reorder these issues send us you know 15 cents and x amount for postage and we'll send you these comics so if you have Classics Illustrated number 50, but you have a reorder page on the back that says you can order up to number 100, well, then you know it's a later edition. It was reprinted around the time issue 100 came out. So those tend to be not particularly valuable. If you have one that's, you know, number 50 and you can only order up to number 51, then it's probably an original. Um, And the originals also usually have an ad on the back saying coming next issue. So that's a general way to tell whether they're more valuable or less valuable. Um, more than that, then you'd have to, you know, call me directly and we can go over that or stop in the shop and bring them in and I can I can go over them with the gentleman. All right, Bogey. All right, thank you. Okay, take care. Uh-huh. That's really interesting. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, uh, it, it's it's a very unusual occurrence and it's something that I had to learn up and down because they're those books are fairly common but there are some that are valuable and it's it's just an interesting and unusual story they never put out any other comics other than uh classics illustrated and they had an offshoot called world around us which was about scientific and natural uh sciences um and then they had classics illustrated junior which was things like snow white and and other stories but that was all they did Wow. All right. Well, you got something, Tom? Yeah, actually, John, in my uh, younger days, I used to collect comic books. I'd go to my uh, local store. I think it was called Allen Ann's in McHenry, okay. Illinois. I uh, yep. used to go there every Wednesday, and I wanted to know specifically, uh, I was there, I was going there a lot during the run of Green Lantern Blackest Night, that big event that they did. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got a f- full, I think it's all first run, all first press of the uh of the main series, how much would something of those later years, kind of those 2000s years, go for now? Have they started appreciating in value already? Uh, not particularly. What what we're looking at in, in what we call the modern era now, say from the late 90s until today, there's some very specific issues, individual issues that have gone up. Uh, one of the characters uh, 
is called Miles Morales. He's like the new multiracial Spider-Man. He was in um, the Spider, the animated Spider-Man movie Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah. So he's he's become a very popular character. So his first appearance is really high. But a lot of average comics from that period are, frankly, very common and not particularly worth much. I hate to say, but Blackest Night, most of those issues are probably sitting in my dollar or $2 bins. Oh, oh cool. <laughs> well, they're sitting in my uh, attic, or not in my, even my attic, my storage room right now. They're, yeah. I mean, cool. they're all bagged and boarded and everything. I thought to myself, uh, maybe these will be worth something someday. So I guess I'll just take them out and read them again. Yeah, yeah, probably, and and you know, you never know. They may be worth something again someday. If there's something that happened in Blackest Night that winds up in a movie somewhere, and all of a sudden the the value will go up. Yeah, um, it's it seems to be that that's for modern stuff. That's what is causing a, a rise in prices, as it did with Miles Morales. If something is a story is being incorporated into the movie universe. They will tend to gain interest and then go up in value. Yeah. Um- but, but you mentioned the, uh, the 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 animated Spider-Man movie from a couple of years ago. That's my favorite mm-hmm. Spider-Man movie. That's my oh, favorite was, Spider-Man movie. It was just great. It was so fun. Yeah. yeah, it was such a blast. I saw that with my girlfriend, who is a civilian. I, 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 I call anybody <laughs> who's not a comic fan a civilian. Uh, but she loved it. She was just like, wow, that was so fun. It's just good story, beautifully done. I oh, mean, I, yeah. I thought the animation was... You know, new and novel, and even just the opening credit sequence. I was like, "Wow, this yeah. is really fun." And I saw it in IMAX too, so it was really, it was really oh, a lot of fun. Great. Yeah, it was great. So, speaking of these movies, you got another Batman movie coming out. Um, and yes, I, I haven't seen the trailer yet. I heard it just dropped within the last. Couple yeah, of days. they're making it dark again. <laughs> they just keep making it darker and darker and darker. Uh, you know, with the new Batman coming out, do you see like a surge in uh, in Batman titles? Uh, usually what we'll see is we'll see more Batman titles coming from the publisher, whether they actually sell more copies is a different story because uh, yeah. it, it's been very hit and miss over the years with, uh, what the movies do in terms of sales for the new issues. I mean, the gold standard for that was the original Michael Keaton Batman movie from the late eighties. Yeah. Um, when that came out, I could sell anything with Batman on it, whether it was comics or posters or T-shirts or trading cards or whatever. I mean, it was a phenomenon for us. Um, Everything else pales in comparison. But once in a while, you'll hit something that comes out and really interests people, uh, like these the last two Avengers movies, Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah. Really, really moved the needle. But um, it doesn't always happen, and it's hard to predict. Yeah. Okay. John, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. And I, and I want to thank you uh, uh, on the air here for the little package you sent me, uh, including, oh. a copy, uh, including a copy of Ambush Bug. Uh, right, so, of course. <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, John Stanglin is the owner of Atlas Comics. Visit them, 5251 North Harlem Avenue, um, 708-453-2110, and check out acomics.com. Uh, always a pleasure, John. Thanks very much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Okay, there you go. Uh, John Stang is uh, the owner of Atlas Comics, and uh, it's a it's a great little place and uh, support local businesses. Okay, all right, uh, and uh, there you go. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the uh, phone number here. Uh, here till uh, four a.m. Uh, it's Wednesday. We'll play a round of Know Your Onion a little bit later on, and we got some comedy from the uh, Johnny Carson show that we always play back as well. So that's all coming up right here on WGN. Please stay tuned. 
Uh, prepping for the end days, the authority of the world of doomsday preppers, next on the Nick DiGilio Show. Hello, Nick DiGilio on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here until uh, 4 o'clock. Um, we're going to talk with uh, Craig Glenday, who is the editor-in-chief of the Guinness Book of World Records. The new edition comes out, the 2021 edition comes out uh, on September 3rd, and uh, we'll talk to him. Right now, though, we want to welcome Dr. Bradley Garrett to uh, the show. Um, he's the author of Bunker, Building for the End Times. Um, he is a cultural geographer, an expert on exploration and urban politics and subterranean spaces as well, and uh, author of many books, the latest of which, again, is called Bunker, Building for the End Times. Uh, and we wel- welcome Dr. Uh, Dr. Bradley uh, Garrett to the show. Doctor, welcome. Hey, Nick, it's a pleasure to be with you. Absolutely. Uh, how, how did you get into being a cultural geographer, as you as you mentioned, in your urban politics, subterranean spaces? How did all of this come about? <laughs> um, well, I, I, uh, my previous career was as an archaeologist, and uh, I was exploring subterranean spaces all over the world. <clears throat> I started running into these bunkers uh, that were built during the Cold War, uh, and I just became fascinated with what what was going to happen to these spaces. So I started tracking some of them, and it turns out that a lot of them were being purchased by doomsday preppers, people that were building for the end of the world. Essentially, uh, they were they were buying these spaces and kicking them out with nuclear, biological, and chemical air filters, stocking them with food, um, and uh, and preparing for a range of calamities. Uh, nuclear war is the obvious one that, that you know comes to comes to most people's minds, but people are also thinking about social unrest, uh, artificial intelligence going out of control, um, uh, climate change. You know, people were people are people are worried right now. Yeah. That people feel that the the future is uncertain, and these spaces that were, of course, never used for their intended purpose during the Cold War. Uh, suddenly became alluring to some of these property developers, and that, that was the beginning of this project. Oh, okay, that's the beginning of the project. And what other what other projects have you done in the past? You've written uh, uh, several books about urban exploration. Uh, tell me about some of the books that you've written in the past, and some of the other adventures that you've had exploring. <laughs> yeah, well, my la- my last project, yeah, it was with urban explorers, and I, I spent a lot of time sneaking into off limit spaces. Including a lot of places in Chicago that I, I shouldn't have been in. Oh but, wait a minute! You got, hold on, we can't you can't you can't gloss over that. Where where were you forbidden to go in Chicago <laughs> that you went to? So if if you uh, if you walk across some of those bridges across the river, yeah, there's manholes on those bridges. If if you just like you can actually open those with the finger, and you can get inside <laughs> the bridges, and 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 there's a whole kind of infrastructural network under there that you can access. There's also I'll tell you a really cool story about Chicago. Yeah, please. So, so, so uh, in London, where I did my PhD, I was going out with these urban explorers every night, sneaking into places, 
and we found uh, this. This will sound like fiction, but it's real. We found a, a, a subterranean railway in miniature that was used to transport post mail across the city. Wow! It's, it's like like imagine a metro system. But it's like half the size with tiny tunnels, and they would fill these trains with mailbags, and then they would shoot the mail across the city. Now, obviously, the idea was this was more efficient than uh, transporting it at surface level. It mm. turns out that the London Mail Rail, as it was called, was actually modeled on a system in Chicago. Really? And there is a yeah, there's a miniature post office mail system buried somewhere under Chicago that no one has ever seen. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, the urban explorers that I worked with have never seen it, uh, but it's down there somewhere. And I, I, I heard about two years ago that, that there were like uh, military training exercises that were taking place in this subterranean railway. Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd be really interested if any of your listeners know anything about it. I'd love to well, hear about it. Well, if someone knows, uh, if someone knows, we want to hear from you at 312-981-720. That's amazing. fascinating. I had no idea that that was a thing. Yeah. Well, you know, it could it could be an urban legend, but I don't think it is. I think there's some kind of remains down there, and I think they buried it. But this is what happens to a lot of these these um, uh, historical subterranean remains, right? That we. we we don't, we're not sure what to do with them, so we end up just kind of burying them or, or different pieces of infrastructure, whether it's electricity lines or sewers or whatever. They end up sort of cutting through these spaces, yeah, and and they they disappear with time. But you know they're, they're all down there, and that's that was part of this project was going to find these these old bunkers that people were were interested in rejuvenating to yeah. turn them into to doomsteads. All right. We're going to get into that as well. But boy, that's really, that's really amazing. There could be a, a miniature railway system underneath the city here in Chicago. Yeah. If anybody, if anybody knows, uh, you, uh, you can give us a call. 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. Isn't that crazy, Tom? <laughs> yeah. Now I want to find it. Now, Brett, do you plan on coming back and maybe going on that expedition? Uh, you know, my, my my family's from Elgin, so I come oh. back all the time. And yeah, I'm I'm uh, I I've climbed a couple of skyscrapers there that were under construction. Uh, I won't mention what they are in case the the property owners get frustrated. But <laughs> um, Chicago is absolutely fascinating. I mean, the 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 layers of infrastructure underneath the city and the new construction taking place above the city. Yeah. It's just a it's it's just a playground for exploration. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great city. It really is. Okay. Uh Brad, hang on, okay? Okay. All right. Uh Dr. Bradley Garrett is with us, author of Bunker Building for the End Times. He's also an urban explorer, a cultural geographer and, a, and he goes through subterranean spaces. We'll talk more about that. That's amazing. Might be a little miniature railway somewhere beneath the city here in Chicago. Okay, more with uh, Dr. Bradley Garrett coming up, and uh, we would love to hear from you if you uh, know anything about this uh, this this uh, railway or any other things. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred.
Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. And uh, we are live in the Skyline studio here until 4 a.m. to Wednesday morning. 312-981-7200. My guest is Dr. Bradley Garrett, author of uh, Bunker, Building for the End Times. And uh, he's an urban explorer, a cultural geographer, and uh, explores urban politics and subterranean spaces. And uh, he's written uh, several books. Uh, welcome back. So, uh, Doctor, let's uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about um, some of the other. What, before we get to the bunkers, what are some of the other unusual places in the in the underground world that you've uh, that you uh, that you have explored? Uh, it's it's a it's a vast landscape down there. Yeah. Um, if if you can imagine, we started we started tunneling seriously into the underground about. 250 years ago and the first thing we built was were sewers which makes sense right, right. we had a pre, previous to that we had people you know emptying pots in the middle of the night that was not very efficient yeah so we built uh gravity fed sewers and then we started thinking about our other infrastructure you know um water uh gas electricity um and we started burying those then we buried transport systems and then we started burying bunkers for war uh, and now of course we've got new infrastructure going in in major cities all over the world uh, which is more efficient infrastructure but it's it's kind of interesting uh, when you think about excavating the urban underground because you have to it's like it's like archaeology in reverse like normally when you when you excavate uh, the soil, you'll find the oldest things at the bottom. Mm-hmm. But when you are talking about infrastructure, it's flipped around. So the newest things are at the bottom. We have to keep going deeper and deeper when we build infrastructure. So I've, I've been all over the planet uh, exploring Paris, Moscow, uh, Chicago, New York, London, um, trying to uh, get my head around what vertical geography means. You know, how how the density that we now support that sustains these, these incredible urban populations is predicated upon deep excavation into the soil. You know, if those infrastructural systems didn't exist, there's no way we could we could have built the societies that we have. And of course, you know, now we know in the middle of this <laughs> pandemic that it's also um, a gateway to disaster, you know. Yeah putting all these people in, in uh, tight, confined spaces, uh, it opens up the possibility for things to go wrong. And uh, the doomsday preppers that I've been hanging out with over the past couple of years are really attuned to this. And some of those subterranean spaces that, that I used to explore with the urban explorers have now become spaces to uh, sort of buckle down and ride out the uh, inevitable disasters that will that will befall all of us. So you've been described as a place hacker. What what exactly does that mean? <laughs> um, imagine so everything you know the lives that we live are are a fiction, right? We've we've created a society that functions in a particular way, and that's dependent upon very fragile infrastructures. It's dependent upon uh, 
infrastructural supply lines, trucks bringing in food, grocery stores operating, restaurants being open. You know, all of those things are uh, human creations. Um, and that's that's the the advancement of, of society and civilization. But what happens eventually is that we all become sort of blind to the infrastructure. It becomes a kind of magic. You know, you, you put your trash can out and it disappears. We don't really know where it goes. Right? Yeah. I mean, no, no, no one's really interested in trying to figure that out. But it's kind of like it's kind of like the the operating system on your phone, right? Like you just you click the app and it opens and it functions, right? You don't really want to know who built the app or why they built it or you know, there's a whole background there. So my idea of place hacking is that places uh, that we normally interact with are like that operating system on your phone. It's it's just something you open and it functions. But if you get into the code and you start pulling things apart. Uh, there's a there's an analog there to um, uh, you know understanding code, understanding how things are built, uh, understanding infrastructure, uh, water systems, sewer systems, waste systems. All of that is is a kind of uh, a hack, right? Because once you understand how that stuff functions, then it puts you in a position of 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 power, right? It gives you some agency back. You understand how those things work, and that's why I, I think of it as a hack, mm-hmm. right? Because it's 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 not necessarily knowledge you're supposed to have, but it gives you a position of of agency if you if you can retain that knowledge. Mm. Okay, so there you go. Uh, now you, your adventures in place hacking got you in a little trouble with the UK government. Can you tell me about that? <laughs> yeah, we we uh, so earlier we were talking about the the uh, the mail rail. Yeah. the subterranean uh, uh, railway. We found that in 2010, and it had been mothballed in um, 2001, I think. So the, the, the post office decided that it wasn't financially expedient to keep using this thing. And uh, when we went down there, we found the trains still running, the lights still on, and... Uh, what are you going to do when you find the truth? I mean, there, it's an empty system down there. So, of course, you know, we, we turned on the lights and started a train. And uh, <laughs> we drove down, the tra- drove down the tracks a bit. And But here's, here's the thing about train tracks is that if you don't, if you don't do maintenance on them, like all other infrastructure, uh, they get a bit warped. And, and we, uh, we derailed the train. Oh, no. And. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, we didn't do it on purpose, but uh, anyway, police got involved and and uh, we ended up in court. Uh, I have to say the British courts are pretty forgiving. They, <laughs> they could understand why we would want to, um, you know, ride a train that was built in the early 1900s that no one had seen in a decade. Uh, but we still had to, to pay a small price for what we had done. Yeah. Now, how, how, how many people were you with? How many of, the, of them were you? Uh, the the explorers that I worked with there, there were about there were about twenty of us that were that were active, and probably a dozen of us that were out going out uh, three or four times a week, and we were finding incredible things. I mean, this is it's hard to relate to people, but um, we got into 
the subterranean infrastructure, telecommunications infrastructure, that was connecting London to New York City. So all of the financial transactions, for instance, that go over fiber optic cables and mm-hmm. pass through submarine tunnels, mm-hmm. uh, we actually accessed those tunnels, and we, we were staring at the cables, you know, that were they were facilitating billions of dollars of transactions every day. Um, we got into these uh, bunker systems that were constructed during the Cold War. They were they were developed specifically to uh, evacuate government officials in the event of a nuclear strike on London. Wow! Uh, I mean, just, we found incredible spaces down there, and it's 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 hard for many of us to imagine. You know, <laughs> given that most of us live paycheck to paycheck and, and, uh, you know, struggle to keep a roof on the house or whatever yeah. or pay the rent. You know, it's hard to imagine the government just blowing all this money on, on kind of, you know, superfluous infrastructure, but it's, it's all down there and it's, it's available to find. Um, and it, it began to feel, I mean, I started that project with the urban explorers as a, as a researcher but it began to feel like investigative journalism. Like we, we were revealing all of this kind of, you know, bizarre stuff that, that people were um, actually quite angry to find out was, was, was built with taxpayer money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can understand that. Now, when you go on these uh, explorations, do you, do you, do you guys bring, you know, video cameras and record things and, and, and all that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We take, we take cameras, video cameras, uh, uh, extra light sources because ine- inevitably you'll you'll you know your head torch is going to die, your headlight's going to die, your your phone light's going to die. You know, you just have to keep keep yourself going. Uh, I mean, there there were times when we would spend three days underground, uh, and you you would have to kind of wiggle from one infrastructure to another. Um. The most incredible place I ever explored was Minneapolis, actually. Really? We would go, yeah, we would go from, we would sort of carve our way through the the uh, soft sand underneath the city, and we could connect from a sewer to an electricity tunnel, uh, and then pop out in these kind of vast cavernous spaces. Um, I, the, the, the underground of Minneapolis is like, Swiss cheese, really? And you can you can you can literally move through it with a spoon. I mean, it's the the it's hard packed sand underneath the city, wow. but you can go down there and you can you can dig it out and you can move through it like a worm. It's absolutely bizarre. That is so and, strange. And I know it's really weird, but the the uh, government's been tunneling down there for a long time, and I hooked up with this urban exploration crew out there called the Termites. <laughs> and and they've been they they've been digging around in there forever, and uh, they've they've actually created their own tunnel systems, which which the the uh, local authorities have no idea are down there. Wow. Okay. Uh. Uh. Brad, hang on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Bradley Garrett is with us. Uh. All, his latest book is uh, Bunker: Building for the End Times, and we'll talk more about. That. That's amazing. That's fascinating stuff. Learning so much about this city and then Minneapolis is the it's Swiss cheese. <laughs> and we uh, we still want to get into the world of uh of uh prepping. These are what they call their preppers for the uh, for end times and uh, the the book is called Bunker.
Okay, Dr. Bradley Garrett is my guest on 720 WGN. Uh, Here's some news. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here until uh, 4. Um, yeah. Uh, Dr. Bradley Garrett is my guest, author of uh, several books, the latest being Bunker, Building for the End Times. This is when he went into the um, the world of prepping and explored some bunkers. Um, 3.7 million Americans are prepping on some scale. And uh, we'll get into that. Um, and here is uh, Brad. Brad, welcome. Welcome back. Hey, good to be back, Nick. All right, man. Uh, we have uh, someone on the phone here, uh, and it's uh, Carrie. Go ahead, Carrie. Oh, hey, Nick. Uh, hey, uh, fascinating topic. Um, but, yeah, come to Chicago and, and dig. Um, a lot of that railway system is actually still there, from what I understand. Uh, it was uh, completed... In the early 1900s, I think around 1909 is when it was in its heyday. Um, it was initially, in true Chicago fashion, it was corrupt. It, it was <laughs> the, 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 the company that was was given the land rights or under underground land rights to do it. It was supposed to be, from what I understand, to lay um, communication cables, like you've been talking about, and and you know, uh, telephone lines, things like that. But then suddenly, suddenly they had enough room to put a uh, very intricate system. For what I understand, it was about a 50-mile uh, system of uh, very narrow-gauge electric railway, about two feet wide, and it it, it, it would carry goods, coal, waste ashes um, uh, on several different levels underneath the city. And uh, I, I came to find out about it watching one of Jeffrey Baird. I'm sure Nick, you, you know oh, Jeffrey Baird. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so so I, I saw that, and I, I, I started looking at it because it's fascinating. Um, but there, there's got to be a lot of it still there. Um, and it, Marshall Fields uh, was one of the major users of it, uh, and they had a very intricate system where they had multi-levels where the cars would actually go and go up and down to move goods, packages, coal, things like that. Wow. And the, the, the tunnel system is actually most famous for the um, 1992 Great Flood of Chicago. Yeah. That that was what breached. It was one of those tunnels, and um, I think it was around LaSalle and Kinsey, you know, by the river. That's exactly yeah. where it was. That's exactly where yeah. the whole thing started. That's where the workers that, were. That's where it breached. And it flooded everything. Cause yep. it, it just flooded all this. So it's it's all there somewhere. So if you want to come and dig, please do and, and yeah. let us know. <laughs> yeah. All right, Carrie. Thank you so much for the information, buddy. Thanks. Take care. I right, take yeah. care. That's cool. How about that, Brad? Wow. That Carrie. That was that was awesome. Um, I, 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 what I normally do since I'm a geographer is I get historical maps and then I'll, I'll go and I'll overlay those on modern maps and then try and find intersections. And I came out a couple of years ago and I popped like six manholes in the middle of the night trying to find that tunnel system. And, uh, I found a bunch of dead ends, but maybe that was because of the flood. 
Maybe, well, you know, it could the, be that the whole system got flooded out and backed up. And that's that might be what happened. That might be what happened, Brad, because that was a crazy. I mean, that was a crazy thing. I mean, you're you're you said you got family in Elgin. I'm sure that they remember uh, how crazy that was. It was I, I'll never forget. It. it was April 13th, 1992. That was the that was the day of the insane flood in the loop. And I was on my couch watching the whole thing. It was crazy. It's this is this is what I mean. The more complex societies become, the, the more potential there is for disaster. That's just a that's a fact of life. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, I, you know, this is this is how I got interested in, in uh, doomsday preppers because, uh, you know, they're thinking about these things all the time. What right. Could go wrong. Right. And and the more complicated society gets, the more things can go wrong. What is it? What's the prepper? culture like can you give me a little impression uh, 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 about that well the last three years I've, I've spent time with people building multi-million dollar subterranean skyscrapers and people who are just you know building uh, uh going totally off grid building solar panels and battery backup systems and wind turbines in their backyards um the prepper the prepper culture is actually extremely diverse in terms of um social political religious ideologies you know people it's it, people across the board um have this sense of unease but i think you know many many of us felt before the pandemic and now we feel very oh, in, yeah. in very visceral terms yeah, absolutely, you know absolutely yeah. that, that, that things are not quite going in the right direction um and so people are are just uh bulking up their their ability to deal with disaster it's it's really about um about resiliency a little bit of stockpiling but but mostly about community uh which is something that you know in the last 20 or 30 years has really uh fallen off the radar for a lot of us yeah so a lot of people are are meeting their neighbors again and thinking about uh how to get thing through things together um and that's uh that's a crucial part of prepping. So, I, you know, when I when I started working on this project, I expected to find a bunch of um, sort of I don't know right wing paramilitary paranoid <laughs> weirdos. Yeah. And actually, actually, I found a lot of like very sincere, genuine, cool people who were ju- who were just um, uh, wanted to be able to take care of themselves and their community, and not necessarily have to lean on uh, uh, the state or the government to be able to do that. Yeah. Were they welcoming to you? This this uh, this community. The the people who were living in uh, the communities that I visited, they were very welcoming. But the people who were who were building those communities, I I came to call them the dread merchants in the book. Um, you know their their whole business model is predicated on 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 sort of stoking our fears. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. So. It, you know, if we're worried about whatever it is, you know, climate change, social unrest, you know, war with China, whatever people are, are concerned about, um, if you're selling bunkers or freeze-dried food or, or water supply or whatever it is, um, you know, it's in your interest to stoke everyone's fears yeah. and get everyone worked up. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I got, a, I got a very different narrative when I spoke to the people who were selling uh, this stuff, as opposed to the people who are living in those communities, 
um, the people who are living in those communities that I visited over the past three years were were um, very welcoming. They're very very uh, um, inclusive. Uh, I don't know. I almost want to say wholesome. Like they're they're like just cool people. You know, I enjoyed yeah. I enjoyed spending time with them, um, and they they were not anxious as I expected. They were actually just. Uh, uh, you know, they're very much at peace, more than most of us, because, you know, I, like most people, I live paycheck to paycheck, and, you know, I, I showed up there to, to write a story, and I and I suddenly ran into these people who said, you know, if we need to button up this bunker and stay inside for three months or six months, we could do that. Mm. And it just, it kind of blew my mind, because I just, I didn't, I don't know, I don't think that way, or I didn't think that way. So you learned a lot uh, in in writing this book, especially about uh, uh, the people who are prepping and, and that community. I certainly did. Um, I, you know, I, I I've been depending upon infrastructure that I that I trust. Uh, I, I expect that when I go when I leave my house, I can go to the grocery store and get what I want. Yeah, you know, I want I want fruit and vegetables out of season and I want to click that button on Amazon and get something tomorrow. If it doesn't show up in 48 hours, I, I send an angry email, you know, I mean, we've all, we, you know, we've, we've all become, um, so dependent upon these, these very fragile systems that were built. Um, I, I mean, just like the subterranean infrastructure of cities, you know, it, it's built in some kind of like magical realm that we don't understand. Yeah. And, and we've all found out during this pandemic, what happens when some of those infrastructures start to break down, yeah, you know, yeah. and the, yeah. and the hand sanitizer and the toilet paper and the water and the, you know, pasta disappears. Um, <laughs> you know, when the shelves are empty, it's, it's really disconcerting. It, it certainly um, is. Yeah. But, what, but, but what what all of the preppers told me is, you know, when when times are good, that's when you set things aside. Yeah. And then when 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 things get lean, uh, you make it through. And what I what I came to realize is that that's a that's the way we've all lived for a long time. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, for millions of years, right? Like yeah. you, you prepare for winter, you stockpile, you you hunker down, you depend on your community. And it's only been in the last couple of decades that we've sort of forgotten that mentality. So I don't think prepping is something new. I think it's actually a return to the old ways. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hold on a second, Brad. Okay. We'll do. Talking with uh, Dr. Bradley Garrett, who's the author. His latest book is called Bunker, Building for the End Times. Uh, fascinating stuff and exploring a, a community of people who are prepping. And we're going to get uh, more details on it and talk more about the book. Uh, with Dr. Uh, Bradley Garrett right here on 720 WGS. Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio until 4 o'clock. It's uh, Wednesday morning. That means we've got uh, 
Know Your Onion coming up. That's where uh, we'll get two uh, contestants, first two callers in. And Tom will quiz you uh, by reading some news headlines, and you have to decide whether they're real or they're from the satirical newspaper, The Under The Onion. Uh, Craig Glenday, who is editor in char- uh, editor in uh, chief of the Guinness Book of World Records, is going to join us. The latest edition will be released on September third, uh, and it's always a lot of fun to talk about those uh, world records. And the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Dr. Bradley Garrett is my uh, guest. He's author of, of many books, including the, his latest, which is Bunker, Building for the End Times. Uh, okay, uh, Brad, uh, having, having a conversation here. Did you find that um, that these preppers and even all of us, do do all of us have like a morbid curiosity with the end of the world? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I, You know, I, so many of us are... are uh, frustrated with our jobs and feel like we're underpaid and, you know, have that sense that the, the American dream isn't quite what we thought it was going to be. Yeah. So there's been this, this, yeah, as, as you say, a morbid curiosity, but, um, uh, a real hunger for, for post-apocalyptic video games and novels. Um, people want to kind of imagine, going back to to a time when they have to depend on their own skills or they imagine a new age of abundance you know where uh we aren't stressed for resources anymore half the population's disappeared and you know we can all venture out into the world and and uh, find the things we need um I have to say that you know since the pandemic a, a lot of that has <laughs> has vanished yeah. Uh, because we're we're living through an apocalypse right now. This is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. It's it's and it's not what we expected. You know, you don't get to gas around robbing people in the middle of the night. It's it's more of a kind of you know slow stamina required to figure out what the hell is going on. Yeah, you know, yeah. We, like what what is going to happen next? The one a lot of the bunker builders that I've been hanging out with, um, they. Uh, build for a specific period of time. So they build for three days or three weeks or three months or five years, whatever it is. Um, And I asked them about that. You know, what, you know, it seems arbitrary. Like how, you know, how can you, how can you prepare for three months? How do you know that the thing you're preparing for is in the last three months and three days? Right. And they told me it doesn't matter (laughs) because, um, we're prepping for the for the present, right? It's not it's not actually about the thing that might happen. Yeah, yeah. It's about giving your giving yourself a sense of peace now that you've got you've got an insurance policy in place and you can make it through a period of time. And uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I I called some of the preppers that I knew that were living in South Dakota. And I said, you know, what's what's going? Are you are you pulling the trigger? Are you going out there? Are you gonna are you gonna button up the bunker and stay in there? And they said, yep, yeah, we're we're all out here. We're doing our fourteen days of of self isolation, and then we're and then we emerge into this kind of community of bunker enthusiasts, and we know that we're safe. But and and this is interesting. They said more importantly. Um, we know that by being here, we're not putting pressure on uh, communal resources. We don't have to go to grocery stores. 
we will not end up in a hospital, right? We, like, we're not going to stress out frontline workers. So they, they saw it as actually a gift to everyone else. It wasn't about saving themselves. It was about giving something to everyone else. Yeah, that's interesting. And, uh, that's an interesting way to yeah, look at it. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. It was, it was a surprising uh, turn in my research for the book. Yeah. <laughs> this, uh, this community that you're talking about is in South Dakota, and it's the X-Point Bunker Community. Is that what they call it? That's right, yeah. Yeah, these, these, are, these are bunkers that were built during World War II, um, and they were uh, built to store munitions. So basically, they had, they had bombs in them during World War II. Oh. And uh, these, the, now families are starting bunkers. Obviously, bunkers are long gone. They decommissioned the base. But it's, it's three-quarters the size of, Manha- of Manhattan. Jeez. It's a huge space. Yeah. Oh. And, and uh, there's about 40 families that are, have moved into there. And they've got water infrastructure up and running. Um, uh, a lot of people have generators and wind turbines, uh, battery backup systems. Um, and they're, 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 they're cool people. Yeah. They're a lot of fun to hang out with. That's amazing. Um, but they, they're, they're building themselves a new community, um, and they, they call it the X-Point because they imagine it as the the point from which humanity is going to reemerge after a great calamity. And I asked them point blank, you know, was this is, is this pandemic the calamity you were waiting for? And they said, this is just a warm-up for what's coming. Jeez. Wow. Tell me about this insane survival condo in Kansas. <laughs> yeah, okay. survival condo, man. I, <laughs> so, so, so I met this. I met this property developer who used to work for the the Department of Defense, um, and he built bunkers for the government. And uh, when he wrapped up his contracts there, um, he bought. Uh, an Atlas F missile silo for $300,000 Wow! And started building um, a subterranean condominium complex. I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe. I call it a, I call it a geo scraper in my book. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's like the opposite of a skyscraper. It's like in, inside the earth rather than on top of the earth. Right. I didn't quite know what to call it. But if you, if you flip this thing over, it's 200 feet deep. So if you flipped it over, it would be the second tallest building in Kansas. Wow. And yeah, and and he bought it for $300,000 and then he spent 10 million uh turning it into this 15-story subterranean condominium complex. That's amazing. And yeah, it's I mean it's it's <laughs> I, you'll, you can you can Google it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can look at the photos. You can look at the photos, but you won't believe it's real. You'll think this is Photoshop, or you know, it's like I'm being duped or whatever. Yeah. I can I can promise you. I spent I spent two or three days inside this thing. It's it's very real. It's got a it's got a uh, a shooting range, a swimming pool, uh, a cinema, a, a bar. That's amazing. I, yeah, That's unbelievable. There's a, there's a dog park down there. I mean, it's <laughs> it's the most incredible thing you can imagine. Um, but here's here's what's really disturbing. It's I asked the guy. The guy's name is Larry Hall. The built in. Okay. And I asked him, why did you decide? I mean, what what could possibly motivate you 
to spend $10 million building this thing. And he said, when I worked for the Department of Defense and I realized what, what I was building their bunkers for, I knew I needed my own. Mm. And it, I mean, this, this is uh it starts to sound like conspiratorial or something, but, um, uh, the more people I talked to, uh, the more people told me uh, that they were uncomfortable with the pace of civilization, if you want to call it that, right? I mean, it, it, if you look at what we were doing 2,000 years ago and 200 years ago, you know, we, we are all going through this kind of exponential explosion yeah, yeah. of um, technological, social political change and every single person that i spoke to said this is all, this is going to end in in a disaster yeah. at some point and they, and they don't know what that's going to be right um in the past we might have might have said that was going to be nuclear war um but now we're just facing this kind of uh just myriad existential threats that could all um uh collapse things around us and that's what they're preparing for wow larry hall was on the on on the far end of that thing though building his uh 10 million dollar subterranean yeah jeez (laughs) wow that's something man this is fascinating stuff uh do you have a a a website where people can uh, check some stuff out and uh and and get and have a link to the book yeah my website's bradleygarrett.com um uh you can find me on on social media i'm goblin merchant everywhere on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Flickr, whatever. Yeah. Uh, All right. And, uh, yeah, if anyone wants a, a signed copy of the book, send me a message. I'll, I'll get one to you somehow. That's great. That's great. Bunker, Building for the End Times, is available now. Uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, Brad, it was really great to talk to you. Uh, really interesting stuff, and, and congratulations on the success, and what a, what a, what a fascinating uh, uh, culture that you just uh, that you talked about with us. Really great stuff. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. It's been a pleasure. Okay, buddy. Take care. That's uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Bradley Garrett, and the book is called Bunker, Building for the End Times. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting stuff. What a, what a world. What a culture, man. Um, it's a big thing. There's a lot of people involved across the country who are prepping and building bunkers and all that kind of stuff, and you can read all about it in his book um, called Bunker. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio, here until 4 o'clock on a Wednesday morning. Uh, Craig Glenday is going to join us uh, after 2 o'clock. He is the uh, editor-in-chief of the Guinness Book of World Records. The new edition comes out September 3rd, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun talking about that if you want to jump in to talk about some uh, world records, some of the craziest ones, because there are so many weird ones. Uh, 312-981-7200. Um, at 3.30 every Wednesday morning, we play a round of Know Your Onion. This is when we take the first two callers who are our contestants. They each play a round. Uh, Tom will read you a, uh, a news headline, and you have to uh, guess whether it is real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. And then you win things. You like things. 
things are good. You enjoy things, don't you, Tom? Yeah, here and there. Yeah, especially when they're free and you win them. The free is good. Yeah. Normally, um, at 2.30 every uh, morning, we play back some classic uh, comedy from the Johnny Carson show. But since we have a guest uh, in that time frame, we're going to do it uh, a little earlier. We're going to do it at 1.30. So it's coming up in about 20 minutes. And uh, the classic comedy. You can watch uh, Johnny Carson show on Antenna TV every night. Uh, the very funny and very smart A. Whitney Brown is going to be featured. Um, uh, he did some stand-up there in 1985 on the Johnny Carson show, so we're going to play that back. Uh, really, really brilliant guy. Uh, he, w- he spent a significant amount of time on SNL and used to do uh, spots on Weekend Update when Dennis Miller, mostly when Dennis Miller was the uh, the anchor. But yeah, A. Whitney Brown will be featured. I hear he's even smarter than his brother. Who? B. Whitney Brown. Oh, God. What's the matter with you? Is there something wrong with you? I don't know. Ask my doctor. I don't know. So, um, and again, uh, speaking of <laughs> speaking of doctors, I do want to give an update uh, for the people who've been asking about my dad. My 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 father is still in the hospital. Um, they're running some tests. He had a CAT scan last night. The results will be um, given to him later today. Uh, so he's still in the hospital, and we hope that we get him home. You know, today or tonight. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, they're just trying to find out what's, uh, what's going on and, uh, figure it out. And, um, and we're just, uh, wishing that my dad just gets better and goes home and is able to go home. So, uh, my mom's kind of stressed out about it. We've been talking, um, you know, we talked a few times yesterday and we talked a few, and I talked to my dad a few times yesterday. He's just, he just wants to leave the hospital. He just wants to get out of there. He says he feels fine. But they got to run these tests. They got to find out what really the source is of all of this. So, but anyway, for those people who were uh, concerned and asking, I appreciate the I appreciate the the outpouring. Um, you know, because I've been posting some updates on Facebook and social media and stuff about my dad. Because you know, I mean, he's part of the show and 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 all that stuff. And you know, my dad is part of the community. He he's also upset that he can't work at Jewel. That's another thing that he's very upset about. <laughs> so. Uh, he just wants to get home. He wants to get back to normal, and he wants to get back to Jewel. And uh, hopefully, we can have that all done very, very soon. So, thank you for the uh, thoughts, um, and uh, for those of you who are, have been including my family and my, my my dad in their prayers. I appreciate that. I really do. I appreciate the support. And hopefully, he'll be fine and be home tomorrow or tonight, sometime tonight. That's what we're hoping for. So, just uh, good thoughts uh, for, especially for like the results of the CAT scan and all that stuff. Let's just think positive. So, uh, it is, uh, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. So technology is a, is a, how, how big a thing is technology for you? Me? Yeah. I love it. I love tech. Yeah. Love, love, love tech. My dad was, he worked in technology. Oh, that's right. He did. Yeah. Worked yeah. for Motorola for many, many years. So I'd never learned how to change a tire, but I did learn how to, uh, fix a router and how to, uh, set up a Cisco telepresence, um, meeting and things like that. Yeah. But you don't know how to change a tire. Nope. Uh, <laughs> hey, but if your printer's busted, I bet I could fix it for you. I don't have a printer. Well, if <laughs> someone else's printer is busted, I'm sure I could fix it for you. How's that? Is that better? Um, for yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think you should know how to change a tire, man. I should, I, but I can learn. I can. It's learn not how to hard. A tire. Yeah, it's. I don't think it is hard. 
It's I not think when someone shows it, you, it won't you be it, it won't be as difficult for you because you're a big guy. I mean, you might have to you know because you got to use some muscle to mm-hmm. to you know to crank that jack and get the car up. So yeah. Um. Well, so but technology, you're big into it. Well, I mean, yeah. it's funny. It's it's interesting. You know, your experience might be a little different than a lot of other people because they didn't have a family member or a father who was a, a, a big tech person. Had all the stuff before anybody else, right? Oh, yeah. I remember, I think it was maybe a week after the first 3D television went on sale for, the, for like, consumers. Yeah. It, it was at our house. He was just like, he was like, oh, I got it for the World Cup, so we can watch the World Cup in 3D. I'm assuming if your dad was still around, he'd have a 4K. Oh, yeah. Oh, he would have <laughs> bought He would have bought it way before. I mean, I have a 4K TV, and they're really cheap now. They're only like somewhere in the maybe 300. You could get one, a pretty good one for like 400 bucks, which is, you know, not an insubstantial amount of money, but a good, I mean, for a well, good it, new it, TV. Well, that has dropped substantially, the price of. of- oh, yeah. But he would when the 4K TVs first came out, the, the prices were nuts. They were oh, he would have he would he would have dropped five thousand dollars on it to be the first. <laughs> that, he was, that he was just that kind of person, and he was just like, yeah, we want to watch the World Cup in 3D. And I remember even saying to him, I was like, why in God's name would we want to watch the World Cup in 3D? He's like, I don't know. So we just because we can. That's it. We that's can. Incredible. They're broadcasting it in 3D, and we watched it in 3D. <laughs> we were like. This is fine, I guess. It was yeah. really weird. Well, yeah. I mean, so you've been around technology for for a long time. Yeah. Me, not today. so much. No. No. Um, as I, I said, I got my first phone, a flip phone. 2007 was the first time I got a flip phone. 2013 was the first time I had a smartphone. And I find it a little odd because your dad was pretty on the cutting edge with certain things like VHS. He had that first VHS player. Well, yeah, that was at my insistence. Yeah, because he needed to watch tapes. Yeah. <laughs> we were the first ones on the block to get a VCR. Oh, look at those digilios. And it weighed, it weighed 16,000 pounds. It had a fake wood paneling, you know, like wallpaper on it. It was a top loader. So you'd press the button, the thing would boom, it would pop up. Yep. It had a remote that the cord wasn't long enough to reach the couch and all it did was have pause all it did was pause it had one little thing a little switch that said pause that was it that was the that was that was cutting edge technology back then 1980 or 81 we got it so but no he's he's not my dad's not a big tech guy either i mean he's, he had to learn he's got you know my, my both my mom and dad have a smartphone now and so they they've had to learn sometimes you know, like you know like if they give me a lift home or something I always like, please text me when you get home, you know, just to make sure they're okay, that they got home okay. And sometimes my dad will make a mistake and end up like hitting the wrong button, calling me. <laughs> I'm sorry, I hit the wrong button. He's still <laughs> still trying to master it. But he's on the computer all the time, my dad. So he's adapted, you know. So anyway, listen, uh, I got a story here and I'll give you the whole details on it. A company is going to be paying $1,000 um, to go camping at a national park. With no technology or internet access, how would people? How would how, how long would you survive? Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. How dependent are you on this modern technology right now? And if they took it from you and you had to spend, you could just go camping out in the middle of nowhere, no internet access and no technology, they'll pay you a thousand dollars. We'll tell you all about it. How would you survive? How important is, is tech to you? Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. 
And uh, we'll talk about this on 720 Donnie Darko every single time I hear this <laughs> I love that scene so much. So good. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and we're live in the Skyline studio. Uh, we're going to play back our Carson comedy clip uh, an hour earlier. Usually we do it uh, every weekday morning at 2.30. We'll play back some, some great comedy from Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV, but we're going to do it at 1.30 this morning because we have a guest between 2 and 3. Uh, and he is Craig Glenday, editor-in-chief of the Guinness Book of World Records. And we're going to talk about some great world records and some weird ones. And, you know, uh, Tom, we've often talked about the the process, who you have to contact, who has to be there to witness it, you know, from the from the Guinness Book of World Records. We'll get into all that stuff with him. And the latest edition is coming out on September 3rd. We're going to have to have him send us a copy. I got the I got the 2020 edition right here next to me. So we'll talk about some of the records that are in there and then get into what's in the, the latest. All right. So, Tom, how would you deal with the question here? Uh, a, a company is paying $1,000 for you to go camping at a national park with no technology or Internet access. Now, you said you were a, a major tech guy. Yeah, I use it a lot. I've only recently started to force myself to not use it while driving in terms of using a, a GPS. Because I am not going to learn how this city connects to the, you know, how the whole city is connected. Yeah. Unless I force myself to learn this street is here, this street is here. Yeah. You're not, you're not real good with, I've, I've, you know, I I ride with you. You're not real good with directions. (laughs) I'm working on it. Yeah. You're not, you're not real good with directions. I I had to tell you to turn left on Ontario so that we could get to the Kennedy. Well, like I said, (laughs) you know, well, and, and, and to my, to my credit, to my credit, I've only been driving regularly to work since March. Yeah. Okay. Previously, I that. everything I understood was whether I can get there by train yeah. or bus. Well, when we were trying to figure out how to get down here when some of the bridges were up, including the Michigan Avenue Bridge, mm-hmm. um, we took North Avenue down. And then, and then you know, instead of, because uh, the Kennedy had the, the downtown at, at, at one point, um, the downtown exits on the Kennedy were all blocked. You couldn't get, you could not get to downtown uh, because all the exits were blocked. So um, when we were coming in, we figured out we could just take us LaSalle. The LaSalle bridge was down and was open. So we would take North Avenue to LaSalle. And then I would have to tell you to make a right on LaSalle. I, I understand. <laughs> but I'll say this much. Once I've done it at least twice, yeah. once I've done it at least twice, someone's probably going to have to correct me or something, remind yeah. me, hey, left here, stay in the left lane. Right. Once I've done it at least twice, I can always repeat it. I can, I'll just repeat yeah. it, you know. But uh, I guess my biggest problem is, you know, I've never lived in, until I started coming to here for college, I'd never lived in a place where everything was so connected and a street could go on for so long. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, no, I know what you where mean. Where it's like, you know, there's, there's, you know, I'm like, like a street how, could go on for so long, like Western. Yeah, like Western. You know, Western I'm Avenue. Like, how can there be this many intersections on Western? How I think, do you remember think, where if, they are? If I'm not mistaken, I think Western's the longest street in Chicago. Yeah, either that or Halstead. Well, yeah, Halstead's pretty long, but, but I think it's Western, Western, Western goes up into like oh, technically Western's Evanston. Nuts. It just go, it, it goes on and on. Yeah, um, Pulaski is really long. And it, oh god, why am I blanking on what Pulaski turns into? Oh, in Evan, when you get north, when it you get, get no, north. it changes. The name of the street changes. It's still Pulaski. Why am I blanking on it? Oh yeah, it's when you, when you get out of the city proper. Yeah, but it's still Pulaski. It just they, the the name changes. Um, um. Does it turn into Crawford? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So, all right. We're talking about whether you can go without technology. Uh, here's here's This is from foxnews.com. Who wrote, who wrote this? Because this is pretty... I'm looking a at... A guy some, with a great sense of humor, I'll tell you. It says, if any of you whippersnappers can stay off your phone for a couple of daggone days, you might just learn yourself... Uh, you might just earn yourself a crisp Grover Cleveland. I like the person who wrote this already, just out of the first sentence. SatelliteInternet.com, a satellite internet comparison resource operated by ClearLink Technologies, LLC, is ironically seeking one brave soul to partake in a quote-unquote digital detox. That's a camping adventure at a U.S. national park with no technology allowed for the duration of a weekend. If the chosen participant is successful, they will be rewarded with 1000 bucks plus reimbursed expenses. All right, could you do that? 312-981-7200. Thousand bucks. Come on, man. Um so uh and, and how how dependent are you on technology? We would love to hear from you. 312-981-7200. What did you think of life before all this technology was given to us and and how reliant we are on it right now? Here's Cindy on WGN. Hi Cindy. Hi. Hi. How are you? All right, what's up? Okay, I can tell you I live without technology 100%. You do? Yep, I have no computer. I have no email. I have no um, smartphone. I do have a track phone, okay? Yeah. Um, I have a very simple life, okay? But nonetheless, I live without it totally. And if I have to uh, seek something out, you know, I even go to the old-fashioned yellow pages, okay, which I have many of, and I said, well, I'll seek it out, and I'll go on my own um, um, time, and uh, I'll get the answer eventually. Now, okay? do, you have, do you have family that has technology? I guess I do. All right. How do they feel about this? And what if they want to get a hold of you, you know, like through an email or something like that? Well, some of them are not very happy about how I live, okay? Mm-hmm. However, um, I have been doing fine for years, and I, I, I just feel the only thing that I'm very um, upset about, because, you know, everybody likes to have a television, and I will share this with you. I recently moved. And I didn't even have no television for seven months, okay? Uh-huh. And I did fine just with the radio from WGN. Oh. Well, I'm glad we could help you out. Okay, Cindy, yep. thank you. You're welcome. Yep.
she's clearly on a landline too because that the, the we get sometimes we yeah, get we an get echo, echo on, on, uh, on the landline and so that's a, like an old landline you know it's i wonder if she has a rotary wires. phone hmm <laughs> That's a good question. I always ask, uh, you know, whenever we bring this up, uh, I, I love it when people call in on their rotary phone and then prove it's a rotary phone because they can go. You got that. You got that dial. That dial sound. Yeah, actually, the barber shop I go to uses a rotary phone. Do they? Yeah, but it's kind of like I don't know if it's an actual rotary phone or if it's just a regular phone made to look like a rotary phone. Oh, you mean like uh, sort of hip vintage yeah, design thing? Because, yeah, because if you go into this barber shop, it is very hip vintage oh, design sort of thing. I mean, it's great, but yeah. uh, I'll be in there Saturday. I'll report back. Okay. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. How long could you go without technology? Uh, did you enjoy life before all this technology became a thing? And uh, would uh, you be interested in uh, spending a weekend in a national park, no internet, uh, no internet access, no technology at all, doing a digital detox? 312-981-7200. And it, the quote says, At SatelliteInternet.com, we know many folks who camp with RVs also need satellite internet to stay connected. But given how much time we've all spent online in 2020, we wanted to find a way to help someone tune out the world and get back to in tune with nature. That's what the company writes on the application page. Uh, to that end, the company is seeking one someone to partake in the challenge, but stipulates that applicants be under the age of 25. Oh, that's going to make it harder. Don't you think? Yeah. Because that's like the that's the age right there, man. Uh, you know, twenty five or under, they're gonna be they're gonna they're gonna go nuts without the technology. Yeah, I mean, I find it a little bit unsettling. I'll I'll say that much. And this is coming from a guy that straddles the more analog era with the full digital era. Because I was born in nineteen ninety three, so I remember a time before you know smartphones, even the iPod. Like I was, I think I was like seven when the iPod came out. I didn't even understand you were what so it did. Young. Exactly. Uh, so, but I, I, I remember an era before this kind of ubiquity. Um, I think the most technologically advanced thing I owned was a Game Boy. Yeah, that was about it. But mm-hmm. I do see some of my younger cousins and everything like that. They just won't engage with anything. Like they don't even want to talk. Like I try to talk to them about, hey man, you know how's uh, how's your summer. They're just like fine, and then go back to like surfing TikTok. Well, that's the that the, that is that's what's happening all over the place. Yeah. So I think it's it's interesting that they're going for. You got to be under twenty five. You already have to be licensed to drive an RV. Um, was that C class or something? Or, I don't know. Um, and if anyone who is twenty five is under twenty five wants to do this, you got a license to drive an RV. If you want to do this. You can uh, enter for a chance to win the position. You can apply now through September 23rd, through September 23rd at SatelliteInternet.com's website. So you can apply now, 25 or younger, and you got an RV license, September 23rd on SatelliteInternet.com's website. That's how you can apply. So it's a whole weekend, no technology at all, camping at a national park, and you'll get paid $1,000 if you can do it. So how reliant are you on technology? Um, what did you enjoy life before all this technology busted into us? I'm curious as to how you feel about it, and we want to hear from you. 312-981-7200.
We'll uh, get your thoughts on uh, pre-technology worlds coming up, but uh, we'll take a quick break. And again, because we have a guest between two and three, um, we are going to play the classic comedy Carson uh, uh, stuff at, uh, at right after this break. But uh, we got to uh, get to uh, the news. Winwood? My dad loves Steve Winwood. Smart man. Loves him. I enjoy Blind Faith. What about Traffic? Love Traffic. Love Spark of High Heel Boys. Come on, man. And then, uh, the 27 minute version. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, what was the. Ba- he was in the. Uh, Spencer Davis Group. Yeah, Spencer Davis Group, yeah. Love it. Also good. Yeah, he's good. I like Steve. Very good. Not a fan of his 80s output? Eh. I think think a lot of guys from the 60s and 70s had a rough go in the 80s. Yeah. None rougher than Rod Stewart. I mean, he sold a lot of records. Sure. Winwood was huge in the 80s. Oh, yeah. But uh, in terms of critical critical acclaim. Back in the high life again? Yes. That's what that that was, right? I like Valerie. Oh yeah, that's a good that's song. A fun, that's like I like back in the high life again. I like Valerie. I think the eighties output's all right. I think isn't Valerie seventies? Might have been seventies, but it had that it, real like Cynthia. You know. Yeah. Well, Steve Winwood was always kind of like that. Yeah. Amazing, amazing keyboard player. Yeah, amazing no, he's pianist. a talented guy. That's the first time I think you've ever played that for a bump. Yeah. You're welcome. What? <laughs> Nick DeGilio here. Hey, coming up at two o'clock. Craig Glenday is going to join us. He's in London, right? He's in London. He's the editor-in-chief of the Guinness Book of World Records, the latest volume, the 2021 uh, volume of the Guinness Book of World Records, arrives on September 3rd. So we'll talk about the new one and world records, and if you want to jump in, we'd love to hear from you. Um, Hold on. We're going to get back to our conversation about whether or not technology is something you can live without. Uh, Would you take up that challenge to go live uh, go camping for a full weekend, no access to, to internet, no access to technology. Uh, so how dependent are you on technology? Phone lines are open. Hold on. 312-981-7200. Okay. Um, because we have a guest between two and three, we've moved up the classic Carson comedy to uh, this time. Um, and so uh, we've got uh, A. Whitney Brown from 1985. You can watch the Johnny Carson show on Antenna TV every night. And every morning at 2.30, we're doing it an hour early this morning, around 2.30, we play back some classic comedy clips from Johnny Carson. So, here from 1985 is A. Whitney Brown. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to 1985. Another thrilling trip around the sun. I hate to see 1984 go, though. It's so exciting. The Cubs almost won the pennant last year. I'm glad they didn't, though, because that's one of the signs of the apocalypse. It's written in the Bible. Ye shall know the end is nigh when the small bears from the windy place take the flag. But we're at peace the whole year, more or less, in this country, and that's great. 
I guess nobody wants to mess with us anymore since we put our foot down in Grenada. Maybe it didn't take a lot of strategy to knock over a fruit stand with two aircraft carriers, but... It's the thought that counts. And it started a wave of patriotism that's gripped this land like a pit bull on a chuck roast. every right to be proud of where we are. Look at this country, the world's greatest location. An ocean view on either side. <laughs> to our north, Canada, in case we ever run out of natural resources. <laughs> to our south, Mexico, in case we ever run out of people that'll work for 10 cents an hour. <laughs> it's the kind of place you could kick back, raise a few families. <laughs> personal vision of the American dream. <laughs> it's a proud place to be, too. And a kind of place you can live in peace, not like those war-mongering, land-grabbing Russians. Boy, do they seem uptight. Of course, look where they are. They're in Russia. It's not the world's greatest piece of real estate. On our west, we have Washington and Oregon, where picnic tables and redwood fences grow on 300-foot trees. <laughs> to their west, they have Germany. It's a nice country, Germany, but let's just say they get a little restless every 35 or 40 years. <laughs> to the north of the Soviet Union, nothing is to the north of the Soviet Union. South is to the north of the Soviet Union. <laughs> and if at times the Russians seem a little edgy, perhaps it's because they share the same landmass with India. That would keep me up late at night imagining what 750 million ravenous vegetarians could do to your potato patch. <laughs> On our southwestern border, we have the great state of Arizona. It's a veritable paradise if you happen to be a piece of petrified wood or an aging Republican living in a trailer park. On the to the southwest of the Soviet Union is the wonderful country of Iran. 75 million... Freaks. And if you don't think they're mean, just ask any of the one-armed shoplifters over there. And on top of that, the Russians are now up to their furry little hats in Afghanistan. That was a brilliant military move. Some genius in the Politburo decided they'd need a little more barren territory. They couldn't restrain themselves at the thought of so many yak herds and impoverished villages ripe for the plucking. So five years and 115,000 troops down the line, they are now the proud owners of three blocks in downtown Kabul. They probably thought, we'll move in, we'll take over. Whoever heard of a Muslim holding a grudge? <laughs> Thank you.
Economically, the Russians have been hurting ever since the bottom dropped out of the tundra moss market. <laughs> and we're now starting arms talks, but I don't care. To tell you the truth, I'm not afraid of dying in a nuclear misunderstanding. I think the whole threat's been blown way out of proportion. I have a feeling our descendants will look back at the entire brouhaha in a few generations and laugh their feelers off. <laughs> and you know something else? I would almost rather die as one of three or four hundred million people than I would die alone in the gutter somewhere. But then, I'm a people person. <laughs> God, I forgot how funny he is. A little politically incorrect, a couple of things there from a different time period. But man, uh, A. Whitney Brown. Used to love him on SNL, and now I remember why. So, very funny stuff. Uh, All right, there you go. That's the uh, the Carson Comedy Classic for uh, this morning. Again, uh, earlier because we have a guest after the 2 o'clock news, and uh, we're going to talk to him between 2 and 3. Hey, our phone number is 312-981-7200, and uh, the question is, how long can you survive without technology? And uh, would you do that challenge? You get paid $1,000 for a whole weekend without Internet access, no technology. Um, would you be able to handle it? And how uh, dependent are you on technology? 312-981-7200. Nick DiGilio and WGN. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. We are here every weekday morning starting at 11 p.m. and go until 4. At 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place to the TV side of WGN, get some early morning news from that great team. And then for your morning drive, the legendary Bob Surratt starting at 5. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. It's the Team Hochberg phone line. Uh, and we are asking you, how long could you go without technology, and how dependent are you on technology? There's a company offering $1,000 to digitally detox in a national park. Uh, so uh, there you go. Um, uh, coming up, we're going to have, after 2 o'clock, Craig Glenday, editor-in-chief of the Guinness Book of World Records. The new edition, the 2021 edition, arrives September 3rd. We'll talk about that and much, much more. Um, and also, the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. All right, we got some people on the line who want to talk about uh, uh, technology. So here is Elizabeth on WGN. Go ahead, Elizabeth. Good morning, Nick. I go back to the day when there were only four families on the block who had a telephone, and it was a party line, and you had to have a nickel in order to drop it into the box so that you could get the operator and she would ask for your number. Yeah, I know. I heard. I, I, I was not around during those days. <laughs> Of course not. You're too young. Uh, but we did have rotary phones when I was young. Um, no, this was not a rotary phone. No, this was the. It was a wind-up phone, right? No, you had to drop a coin into the box. You picked it up, dropped. 
a nickel, and then it went up to a dime, into the box and get the operator. Right. And you would give her the, the phone number. But there was no dial. There was nothing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thanks. Those were the days. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I still don't have a computer. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, Elizabeth, thanks. You're welcome. Yep. Bye-bye. Again, that's a, that's a landline. <laughs> Uh, here's Robert on WGN. Hi, Robert. Uh, morning, Nick. Uh, how is your dad, by the way? Uh, I just gave an update. He's still in the hospital. Um, they're running more tests, so. All right. Well, our prayers are with him. Thank you. you know. Thank you. They absolutely love dad and you and mom. Thanks. But, uh, every year we go up to Montana to a buddy's ranch and nothing is allowed. And people go through withdrawals. I've seen people literally start shaking. Running around, where's my phone? Where's my? I, I go. It's about ten miles back that way. I go. You, you can borrow the rifle and start walking. And you, we just every year, and we bring different people, and it's it's absolutely amazing how reliance people are with what I'm talking to you right now on. Yeah, I I I know. I've I seen mean, it. It's, I've it's seen actually, it. It's insane. Every day I ride twenty miles. I don't bring a phone with. It drives my family nuts. My wife is, I couldn't get a hold of you. And I go, you know, I don't bring the phone with. Yeah. So I, and, and you, you know this. Watch. Everybody has a phone. You go out working out. You go out bicycle right now. They got phones on their bikes. They got phones attached to their arms. I mean, it's, and you take that away from someone. And I'm like you. I'm an ex-drinker. And you get the shakes. And it's, it's amazing that yeah. people are so attached to this stupid thing we call a cell phone yeah well they are and it's uh, i've seen it too robert i've seen it too um so. it's scary anyhow great show as thanks always. robert thanks so much and again i pray for you father thanks buddy i appreciate that take care all right take care now. all right there you go uh yeah the self everybody's got everybody's on the phone all the time sometimes i get um like ghost vibrates uh, yeah, that's happened to me you too. Feel that where you're just yeah. like you, you thought that your phone yeah. might not even be in your pocket. Listen, I use the phone. You know, I'll check. You know, when I'm home, I you know I got the Wi-Fi at home, and sometimes I'll look something up online or check my Facebook uh, page. But I mean, the only people that I call on my phone are my folks, and I you know I got to keep in touch with them, especially at a time like this. My dad's got his cell phone in the hospital room with him. You know, and. Uh, it's I, I, it's very obviously it's incredibly important to keep in contact with my dad during this time and my mom to make sure she's okay, and they both have cell phones and that's how I call them. Um, they have a landline at home. My mom's been at home obviously because she can't visit him because of what's happening in the world. I can't visit him either. That even makes it more you know maddening. You know what I mean? I can't I can't go to the hospital to visit my father because of what's going on. I just hope he gets home soon. That's all. Um, but anyway, it's you know it, it's an important piece of technology in certain times. Like for instance, what we're going through, what my family's going through. It's important to stay connected as as much as possible. Um, but I, I very rarely call anybody. I text a lot. You know, I'll text people here and there. Like you and I communicate a lot during te- you know while texting, mm-hmm. unless it's something really important. Mm-hmm. Like when I stayed home for a few days because. Sure. You know, because of my dad and because of the, you know, the, the uprising here down in downtown Chicago, I called you because that deserves a phone call. Mm-hmm. 
Do you know what I mean? Or if the yodeling guy is on Price is Right. <laughs> the yodeling guy. Well, I, I text that. <laughs> you text that. Yeah. Or, yodeling or, or, guy. I paste it on, or paste it on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I always know if the yodeling guy was on Price is Right that morning. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. It's my favorite thing on Price is Right. Absolutely my favorite thing on Price is Right. Cliffhangers. And I love Price is Right. I love it. I, you know, I watch it pretty much every morning. And that's, when, that's my bedtime. It's like when Price is Right is over. Hit the hay for a while. So, uh, all right, we're talking about uh, lack of technology and could you survive without it? How dependent are you? 312 981 7200. Phone lines are open. Call us with your cell phone. <laughs> Here's Trucker Rich. Hey, Rich. Hey, Nick. How you doing? I'm all right. And I'm thinking about your dad. Thanks. Hoping he gets well soon and gets out and starts telling jokes again at uh, Jewel. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, uh, that's that's what I want to. Um, uh, um, thank you for all yeah. the good thoughts. And I want to thank the listeners, too, for uh, a, a lot of the thoughts and the prayers and all that stuff. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very stressful time, but we'll get through this. My dad's going to be good. I could probably go a month or more if if it had running water, a refrigerator, and some books. Because the only time I use my cell phone is nine o'clock at night till about nine o'clock in the morning, and then it gets shut off. Yeah, because that's and when I you check my that, email once every two weeks. And that's what you, once you every know? two weeks you check your email. Yeah, God, I wouldn't be able to. Everybody do that. knows that. It, it's got an automatic reply. If it's super important, you know my phone number. Yeah. And I'll probably be awake at 9 o'clock at night. Yeah. You know, yeah. or call my wife and she'll, you know, give me the message. But, yeah, I, and then I only go on Facebook once a week on Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. You know, so I could do it with, you know. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't good, seem it's going to have a huge effect on your lifestyle. Now, you have your, you have your, no. cell, phone, you have your cell phone with you when you're driving, right? Yes, that's, I mean I use it become, for like calling you guys. Right, that's because it's and, important. Uh, it's important to truckers to have cell phones. Right. Yeah. You know, I use it for like because the stuff I haul is water. Yeah, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Got to keep it dry. Yeah. So I look at radar before I unload, and you know, listen to you guys for traffic reports. Yeah. You know, on the radio, but if I had a radio, is that is that considered out of out of bounds for the technology or? What? It'd just be a what, like the challenge they got. No, no I, 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 do, I think it's just nothing, nothing. No radio, nothing. Oh, well, I could even go with that if there's a weather radar, you know, a weather radio to, to warn you about storms, you know. Yeah. So we'd like to be sitting in a, you know, I've sat in the middle of uh, woods and tents before with the Army when a tornado came through the woods, and that's not real fun. No, doesn't sound you know? like fun. Yeah. So, yeah. So. All right, Rich, thanks. But, yeah. But with some books and running water and a toilet and food, that's all I'd need. All right. Okay. All right, Rich. Thanks. Right. Yep. Have a, go. have a good evening. Okay. Well, uh, we should talk to some people who are uh, clearly n- not super reliant on technology and uh, people who don't even have computers in their house. So that's interesting. A woman who had uh, no TV for seven months, I'd go nuts. I would go nuts. So, uh, all right. Hey, uh, everybody enjoys the Guinness Book of World Records. And uh, the latest edition, the uh, 2021 edition of the uh, Guinness Book of World Records, arrives on September 3rd. Editor-in-chief of the Guinness Book of World Records is Craig Glenday. 
And uh, we're going to talk about the the new edition and uh, some of the other editions as well and some of the crazier world records. Some of these world records, you look at them and go, who thought that they that this could be a world <laughs> world record to attempt? So uh, it's always fun. I love I love the Guinness Book of World Records. So uh, editor in chief from the Guinness Book of World Records is going to join us. And if you want to join us, it's three one two nine eight one seven two hundred three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. All right, let's get to the news. All right, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the uh, Skyline studio here in downtown Chicago. Here until 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place to our brothers and sisters on the TV side of WGN. And uh, we'll get an early morning news from that great team. And then the legendary Bob Surratt at 5 o'clock for your morning drive. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. That is the Team Hochberg phone line. And it is open. Um, and if you have questions or you want to talk a little bit about the Guinness Book of World Records, well, that would be cool because I would like to say hello to Craig Glenday. Craig Glenday is uh, editor-in-chief of the Guinness Book of World Records. And let's say hello to Craig. Hi, Craig. Hi there. How's it going? Good. How are you? Yeah, it's very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. I love the Guinness Book of World Records. I really do. I think it's so so much fun, and so some of it is so weird. How long have you been uh, with the uh, Guinness Book of World Records? Uh, I've been there now just over eighteen years. Wow, so a bit of a career record for myself. Yes, it's a, but it's such a great job. You know, every day is different. There's yeah. always something new to see. You think you've seen it all, and then. Uh, you see something great the next day. So, I mean, it's been a, an amazing and fast 18 years. I bet. Well, 18 years ago, how did you get involved? What what brought you to the Guinness Book of World Records? Um, my background is publishing, like book and magazine publishing. And um, I actually used to edit uh, a kid's magazine called Animals, 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 which was about animals. Um, and one of the picture team there left to get to take a job at Guinness World Records, and I said, "Wow, I just it'd be my dream job if any job ever comes up in the company. You must call me." And um, sure enough, somebody won a stand-up comedy competition, bizarrely, um, which meant there was a vacancy. So I rushed down the next day and convinced them to give me the job. So uh, I started as the website editor uh, 18 years ago, and within a couple of years, I'd promoted up to the editor of the main book. So it was a, a dream come true, really. Yeah, that's pretty great. Uh, so uh, Guinness Book of World Records, how long have they been around? Like over 60 years? Uh, it's 65 years. In fact, it's 65 years tomorrow is the, the uh, anniversary of the, the, the first book being printed. How about that? Uh, so it's very good timing for this call, yeah. So it's uh, been going around 65 years. Um, you know, it started as a as a promotion for the Guinness Beer Company, so it is connected to the Guinness the Stout. I mean, not not a lot of people now realise there's a connection there, but um, yeah. we've become 
in one sense, more famous and more wide-reaching than the Stout because we go into more countries. Yeah. Um, but uh, they eventually sold us off back uh, back in uh, 1999, I think it was, when they, um, the beer company got rid of all its non-alcohol assets like restaurants and other various brands. Yeah. Uh, and we sold off. So, But it's been, uh, yeah, it was... It's been a great um, start to the company, having such a big um, brand behind it, like Guinness, to, to push it and give it the life it needed uh, to become a bestseller. Yeah, I was I was surprised when I found out that it was the that it was the the, the Guinness uh, that you know the the stout. I, I was surprised when I found that out. I mean, I found out uh, you know uh, a bunch of years ago, but when I first heard about it, I was like, really, it's the same Guinness that uh, that's that's really interesting how that happened. Yeah, I mean the story. There is a there is a bit of a creation story behind it, which is um, Sir Hugh Beaver. Uh, very good, great British name. Sir Hugh Beaver was out <laughs> in Ireland. He's that's uh, a schoolboy name, isn't it? Perfect. Yeah, so he was in Ireland um, with a supplier of hops. No malt. It was actually it was malt. He was buying malt in Ireland, and um, it was tradition to go on a shoot. So they take. You take your boss out or your directors out on a shoot, and he went out and, and they were shooting at game birds, and they, they had a bit of a debate about which was the fastest game bird in Europe because some said it was the the red grouse, some said the golden plover, another said the teal, and they couldn't really agree on which was the fastest. And they went back to this, as he said at the time. So Hugh said it was a very big expensive house with a very big expensive library yeah and despite hundreds of books he couldn't find the answer in any of the books it's not the kind of information that you, that's that easy to access in books because traditional encyclopedias uh, are fine alphabetically but how do you know if you don't know what you're looking for it's hard to find and he realized that he said the people will be struggling all over the world uh, to answer questions and particularly he said There'll be people in pubs and bars arguing over things. Yeah. So why don't we put um, a product into the bar, like a book or a pamphlet, that has all the answers to these questions? And the idea is you stop the argument, you reach for the Guinness book, and you have a pint of stout on you there. And he said there's a lovely phrase, which is, turn the heat of argument into the light of knowledge. Um, and the idea was to give this book free to all the pubs in the UK uh, back in the 19, in 1955, and that's how we got started. So yeah, we, he hired uh, a couple of, um, in fact, they were identical twins called Ross and Norris McWhorter, who um, they founded the book and they gave it free to uh, thousands of pubs in the UK, and that's where people fell in love with it immediately. So, wow, yeah. that's a great story. That is a great origin story. Uh, Craig, please hold on. Okay. Uh, Craig uh, Glenday is with us, editor-in-chief of the Guinness Book of World Records. If you want to jump in here with your favorite world record or you have a question about the Guinness Book of World Records, we'd love to hear from you. It's uh, 312-981-7200. Our phone lines are open, 312-981-7200. And we're talking Guinness World Records right here on 720 WGN. Stands on golden stairs 
Sam watches the ships. Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock. Uh, it's Wednesday morning. And uh, so at 3.30, we're going to do a round of Know Your Onion. Get our first two callers in here. Tom will quiz you on uh, some news headlines. You have to figure out whether they're real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion, and then you win things. Craig Glenday is with us, editor-in-chief of the Guinness Book of World Records. And the new edition, uh, the 2021 uh, book, arrives on September 3rd. So just a few days. 312-981-7200 is the uh, number if you would like to join us. Hello, Craig. Hi. All right. Uh, we do have uh, someone who's calling in with a question. Alyssa, go ahead. Hi, Craig. My name is Alyssa LaBoy, and I've been living here for 47 years in Chicago. And I personally know Kim Goodman because she was my neighbor. And she is the, oh. the, the, yeah, she's a human that can push her eyes out to the furthest distance. Could not believe when she lived in my Mount Prospect uh, apartments until 2015, that summer, winter. Could not believe that she wasn't in California and more famous. She, you know, she's incredible. You, I had a question for you about the books, because I have a 1988 book at home that's the World Guinness Book Records holders. Have you been doing this the whole time with these books? Um, so, so my first book was the um, 2006 edition. That was the first one I was editor. Um, but I do look back all the time. I'm constantly looking at previous editions. I think my my first would have been the 1986 edition. Um, wow. And I think there's, there's so many great old records in there, which um, you, you, you look back and think how amazing it is that the world has moved on so much from when you... When you look at these earlier books, that's what I find absolutely fascinating, is that the Guinness World Records books provide like a snapshot through history. Exactly. So you can track. I'm 47, so I, I would have seen that book. I'm 47, and I have the 1981-88 one at home. And Kim, Kim did it, the last time that she did a Guinness Book Record event was about 2013 or 14, and she was there with the tall guy and the one with the and the lady with the long nails or the guy she was there with the tall guy and she was there with the nail guy the nail person and she did a i know she did one event in like 2014 i believe and i could not believe yeah. with the way she does her eyes that she wasn't living in hollywood or something you know what i mean that she was a bus driver and a cta and a school bus driver and she doesn't do the school buses yeah. anymore she does the cta double decker buses in the city of chicago and I, I'm definitely going to go buy your book. Are you doing any, um, are you signing anywhere these books? Are you selling them already? Um, they'll be in store next month in a couple of, uh, yeah, about a week's time. Um, unfortunately, we're not doing many signings. Like, normally, I would come over to the U.S. I love coming to America and um, doing a bit of a tour. But, of course, because of COVID, we're a bit stuck indoors. Right. So. Um, yeah, it's a bit sad that we can't go anywhere. But the, the book, moment, the but, book's uh, going to be book's going to be available September third. It's the Guinness Book of World Records, two thousand twenty-one. Uh, Alyssa, thanks for the call. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. Um, so, what's it like, you know, uh, taking all these records and condensing them t- into a yearly edition? Uh, it's. I mean, it's it's a great it's a great job and a great honor to deal with all this amazing. Um, all these amazing record holders and the content. But sadly, I have to make a choice each year of, of who goes in and who doesn't because we have more records being approved than we have room for in the book. 
So if you imagine we get about a thousand applications a week. Oh my god. With, a thousand a thousand a week? A thousand a week, yeah. And it's gone down to be fair in the last few months again because of COVID nineteen. Um, but people are still determined because they're trapped at home, I guess, and they're doing things at home that still qualify. Lots of fitness records, you know, people who are doing press-ups, push-ups, pull-ups, uh, and they're desperate to get themselves in the book. So we have this huge oversupply. Now, of that 1,000, maybe only 5% will actually make it into the book for various reasons. They're not good enough or they're doing stuff that's illegal or um, you know, just things that aren't actually qualifiable as records. Um, so when we get that, I mean, maybe three to 4,000 brand new records every year, I have to cull that down to about 2,000 because the book has to have a mix of classic records. So we want Mount Everest, we want the tallest man ever, Robert Wadlow from Illinois, um, as well as the new material. So it's having to make a choice. So each year, um, it's, it's the hardest thing to do is to say no to people and not put them in. And I guess they'll find out next week when they buy the book or they flick through it in the bookstores to find that they're not in it. And it's like, oh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, because we want to celebrate everyone. You know, we no one else really celebrates as wide a spectrum of achievement than we do at Guinness World Records because we, we are very egalitarian. We believe everything's and everyone is equal. You know, whether you're Usain Bolt or... You know, bolt the pigeon is the most expensive pigeon. Um, to, to us, you're a record holder, and, and being able to celebrate these people every year. So to say no to someone because there's no room is heartbreaking. I mean, they still go on the website, so we have guinnessworldrecords.com. Right. So if you're not in the book, then I hope you'll be on the website. But yeah. Uh, t- tell me uh, about the most expensive. What is this? The most expensive pigeon you said? Uh, yeah, well, it was Bolt the Pigeon, yeah. So we have um, uh, a category for most expensive pigeon. You know, obviously people um, buy and race pigeons, um, and we had Bolt the Pigeon a couple of years ago. Um, and these things sell for thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, it's very strange because you think it's a pigeon, who cares? Um, but the last one, um, so Bolt, Bolt sold for... Uh, about two hundred dollars no, $400,000 oh. uh, for a pigeon. $400,000 for a pigeon? For a pigeon, yeah. And the most recent one, that record actually got beaten, um, and and it got really beaten. So the new one is called Armando, um, who's uh, sold for, in U.S. dollars, it's about $1.4 million U.S. What? Uh, last year. <laughs> what? Uh, um, why? Why? What makes this pigeon so special and so so expensive? Um, I suppose they're, they're bred to be racing pigeons, so they they, they do race. This one is called the uh, um, like a Formula One of racing pigeons. I mean, you get, there's, there's a pigeon Olympiad every year where they. Oh race. wow! I didn't know that. Um, yeah, um, and so people bid to. to to buy these um, racing pigeons so they could then enter them into races. But something happened last year with Armando where the Chinese got involved and the bidding just went insane. You know, it should have been about $300,000. That was the that was the expected asking price. But the, the, the bidding war in China pushed the, the value of the pigeon up uh, to one, $1.4 million. It's insane, isn't it? That's unbelievable. That is really unbelievable. 
Wow! So that's the world's that's the world record for most suspend most expensive pigeon. Yeah, <laughs> Armando. I mean, Armando. Armando. Okay, uh, we got another call here. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. If you want to talk a little bit about the uh, Guinness World Records, if you have questions. Uh, Craig Glenday is with us, editor in chief of the Guinness World Record uh, books, and the the latest one, the two thousand twenty one edition, uh, comes out September third. Here's uh, Bob on WGN. Go ahead, Bob. Hey, good morning, guys. My father always said my mother belonged in the in the Guinness Book. Uh, she she was pregnant seventeen times. She we ended up with eleven of us. She lost a, a handful of there, but in that eleven, my mother had four boys in the span of thirty five months. No no twins. Man, my oldest brother Mike. My brother Mike was born in December. Of '56, my brother Bill in October of '57, myself in, October, in uh, December of '58, my brother Joe in uh, December. I'm sorry, in November of '59. <clears throat> so that's a that's a pretty quick span, 35 months for four boys. Is there a uh, no re- is, Craig? Is there a record for that? Siblings born. Um, I think we do have we do recognize um, family or siblings born. On the same day, yes. I'm just trying to recall what the record is. Yeah, but we have um, we we do monitor lots of um, family records. The one I'm thinking of is um, it's a U.S. family um, who have the same birthday, which is the 20th of February. So it's five five children of the same family. Jeez, um, had the birthday on the same day. Yeah, um, which is the 20th of February. So. Um, the, it's the Cummings family, yes, that's it, yes. So Catherine, Carol, Charles, Claudia, Cecilia were all born on the 20th of Feb yeah. uh, in consecutive years. Wow. Actually, not consecutive years, but 52, 53, 56, so, 61. So, so yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Bob, that's a, that's a, that's really a crazy story. Uh, uh, did, <laughs> was your mom always tired? Yeah, uh, yeah my, my father said that my mother had so many kids because she was out of hearing. <laughs> and, and because because they go to bed, he'd say, "Well, do you want to go to sleep or what?" She'd say, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bob. Thanks for the call, buddy. All right, thanks, All right, right. <laughs> We do have a record actually for the most prolific mother as well. So the busiest mom, I suppose, would be um, she was the wife of a, a Russian peasant uh, in the 18th century, uh, and she had 69 children. Come on. Yeah, sixty nine children. Um, yeah, she was wow. very prolific because she gave birth to um, like sixteen twins, sixteen pairs of twins, oh. seven sets of triplets, four sets of quadruplets. Oh my god! Plus individual children. That's um, yeah, that's so, insane. That's nuts. Uh, yeah. Craig, Craig, hold on, okay. Okay. All right. Uh, that's that is crazy, and we're going to talk about some other pretty out there world records as well. And if you have questions or comments about the Guinness World Book of Records, the new edition comes out September third. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred, and uh, we'll get back to the conversation uh, after a trip to the newsroom. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. 
Uh, we're live in the Skyline studio. We're here until 4 o'clock. Um, coming up after 3, we're going to jump into the topic of, uh, well, CompUSA comes back from the dead to bring tech deals and uh, products and brands that came back from the dead. And what stores or products or brands would you like to see return? That's what we're going to be talking about. But right now, my guest is Craig Glenday. He's editor-in-chief at the Guinness Book of World Records. And uh, the latest edition, the 2021 edition, arrives on September 3rd. And we are talking with Craig about world records and more. Hello, Craig. Hi. All right. So um, the, the, he, so what's the process when someone contacts and says, I'm going to attempt a world record, what's the process from that point on till, till the world record is, uh, is actually acknowledged? Yeah, well, that's the, the key is that you do contact us first. Like, don't do the record and then tell us afterwards right. that you've done it because uh, we get so many people who tell us things after the fact, but then they haven't got the rules, they haven't got the instructions. Um, so you go to guinnessworldrecords.com and there you'll see a break a record section and basically tell us your idea. And if we like the idea, if it's something that we feel qualifies as a Guinness World Records title, we will send you rules that the previous person who attempted the record used so that it's, you're fairly following the same instructions. Um, or if it's a new idea, then we will create guidelines specifically for you. Um, and then you're free to take as much time as you need to practice the record. Um, um, but you must, when you do the attempt, you must have it filmed. There must be independent witness statements. Uh, you may need logbooks. You may need uh, other evidence like credit card receipts. So say you were to do a um, fastest time to you know, walk across the United States, um, you would need to have video evidence of that. You would need probably like, credit card statements to prove that you were in various points across um, the country. Yeah. You'd want photographs, media reports, um, and, and the independent witnesses would be yeah, people who you meet on the way or um, if, if, if there's a governing body for your sport, uh, for example, then we would like to hear from them. Um, because we can't get out to every single record attempt. And as I said, it's about a, if we're doing a thousand a week, it would be just impossible to send adjudicators out to every single record. Um, so we have to have a, a system that allows you to upload evidence. Um, and in our guys, back in the many offices, we've got offices dotted around the world, they'll sit and watch. I mean, they sometimes watch hours and hours and hours of people running around the track or playing the piano for a whole day, or whatever it might be. So, um, and then if, it, if it's successful, we um, issue your official Guinness World Record certificate, um, which is the, the thing that everyone wants. It's the on the bucket list to get the name um, included in the records database. Well, to be in the book, really. And then if they're lucky, they'll then get selected for the book. So the whole process can take, you know, depending on the record attempt, up to maybe twelve weeks. Um, from start to finish. Wow. And how many adjudicators do you have uh, that, that go out and, uh, you know, confirm these things and, and make, it a, make it a world record? Um, well, we've got probably a dozen or so who are full-time um, based in the office, and they'll be sent out from the office. But we have a much bigger network. Um, I don't actually know how many there are. There's probably, I would say, we would have had access to probably about 50 
uh, adjudicators, um, and some of them have specialisms. Uh, you know, some are ex-military, um, some have got a human body um, medical aspect to what they, they do. Um, and, and they've got a great job, these guys, because they they can get an email at any moment saying, right, quick, you've got to go to Barbados and adjudicate a game of cricket on the beach or whatever it might be. Um, so that's, I mean, And if we want, all the staff at Guinness World Records have the option to train up as an adjudicator. So I, I very early on took the adjudicator training. Um, and I've had strange days where I had an email saying, can I go to Mongolia uh, to measure the shortest man? Which I did. I went off to Mongolia, measured the shortest man. And whilst I was there, I got an email saying, could I go to Antarctica? To the fallout boy, you know, the band's fallout boy are going to Antarctica. Could I then go from Mongolia, uh, meet them in Chile, and then fly on to Antarctica? It's like, well, I can, yeah. <laughs> that would be an interesting thing to do. So, you, um, you, you, so yeah, you, you've traveled everywhere then, huh? I've done well, probably, I mean, maybe about 60 different countries, I think, the Guinness World Records. But it also takes you to places where you would never normally go as a tourist, like Mongolia, I would never have really thought to go as a tourist. Yeah. Um, but it also means you get very well uh, treated because people are you know, so excited to have someone from Guinness World Records come to their country. Sure. Uh, and you tend to get, you, you get a, almost a ticker tape type parade sometimes. I've had firework displays in my honour. You know, it's been an amazing, <laughs> an amazing experience to go to these countries and um, just you know, give them the opportunity to get their people known around the world in, in our book because you know they know that millions of people are going to be reading about them. Um, so they're, they're so desperately keen to get the record uh, and also to make sure that as an adjudicator that you have everything you need. You know, so yeah, it's a real honour actually. I mean, it's a privilege to be able to do this job. That's really that's really sounds just that sounds so fun. Um, and this is an annual book series. It comes out every year. And since 2005, mm. more than 130 million copies have been sold. That's astonishing. Um, yeah, we've, we're on probably on a bit more than that now. But that's that's the total sales so over the years. So um, what was great is that from the very first year, 1955, when everyone actually in the book trade thought the book would be a total disaster. The, the first sales meeting, um, they sold six copies of the book back oh. in 1955. And, and they, were, they were told that a little bit of a catch-on. And eventually that year, it was the Christmas bestseller. And then every year since, we've been at the top or near the top of the charts. And what's great for me, I think is really heartwarming, is that it's a book. You know, it's an old-fashioned book. There's no screen involved. There's no internet, you know. As long as you've got a, a light, you can see it. And we hear from parents all the time. And um, I almost cried once on radio. And I was in Canada, I was in Toronto, and a, a mother called in to say, and she was in tears saying that the only thing that she could get a son to read as a very reluctant reader was Guinness World Records. He had trouble reading, and he just didn't really enjoy books. But he could not get... And uh, away from the Guinness World Records because he loved it so much, and it was really heartwarming to hear this. And we hear from parents and grandparents that what they like about the book is that it's not a screen; it gets the kids away from a screen for five, ten minutes. But also, the book hangs around the house all year, so you know you you spend um, for the sake of what would be a couple of coffees 
for a book that sits around in the kids' bedroom. It may sit around in the bathroom. It's just there always. Yeah. Um, so in, compared to like a video game, where you might be spending fifty, sixty dollars on a video game, and they're bored within two weeks. This is a thing that lingers, and unless they. As the kids read, they'll focus on the fun stuff, the eyeball poppers that uh, your previous caller mentioned, yeah. uh, the long fingernails, but then they'll also start to see the other things that are in the book, the, the more historical interest or the science or the art and the history. Yeah. Uh, and slowly, by stealth, they learn, and that's what we're really excited about is kids learning by stealth. I, I mean, I hope no kids are listening now because I don't, don't want them to hear our secrets of how we get them to read facts. <laughs> Um, but that's one of the ways in. Is load them in with the great photographs, and then when they're there, they'll hopefully pick up yeah. by osmosis lots of other facts. Oh, all right. Yeah, that's 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 really cool. Uh, uh, Craig, um, hold on, okay? Okay. All right. Uh, Craig Glenday is with us. He's editor-in-chief of the Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, the latest edition, the 2021 edition, will arrive in stores on September 3rd. If you have any questions or specific Guinness World Records that you want to discuss, Craig is here for your comments and your questions. Our phone lines are open at 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. All right. Uh, more with uh, Craig from the Guinness Book of World Records coming up. And your phone calls and questions, please call in. 312-981-7200. Another month, you are on my mind, taking up my time throughout the day. All right. Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline. Yeah, I can speak. Live in the Skyline studio until 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place, uh, over to our brothers and sisters in the TV side of WGN. And we get some early morning news from that great team. And then at 5 o'clock, the one, the only, the legendary Bob Surratt has your morning drive. Coming up, we're going to talk about CompUSA making a comeback products and brands that make that came back from the dead and then we're going to talk about stores and products and brands that you wish would return and uh we would love to hear from you 312-981-7200 and the news is next from the northwestern medicine newsroom all right uh, my guest right now is uh, craig glenday who is the uh, editor-in-chief over at the guinness book of world records and um they, they uh, since they've sold over 130 million copies since 2005. The latest edition of the Guinness Book of World Records uh, arrives on September 3rd. And uh, Craig, hello. Hi. Hi. I just want to say that you before the break we were talking about how uh, you have heard from parents that kids really, really love the book and it it gets it it gets them to actually read. Which is really lovely and, and encouraging. Yeah, I mean, we 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 spend a lot of time with families, um, getting to know what they want to learn about in the books and hearing from them. And we often hear, sadly, that many families just don't have book collections at home. And people who don't consider themselves to be book readers will still read the Guinness World Records book, and they don't even see it somehow as a book. Yeah. They don't recognize. It. They're like, oh yeah, of course. Well, we have that book. 
Um, but that's great that, you know, if they're reading books, um, also libraries, we hear from uh, librarians that they love us, uh, that they often have to guard the book carefully because uh, there's so much interest in it. In yeah. fact, we had the records come to the bookseller organization uh, in the UK. We were the most stolen book from libraries. <laughs> <laughs> so you had, the Guinness, you had the Guinness record for most stolen book. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is uh, no, an honor, I guess. I guess, I yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do want to say I have the, uh, the 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 current edition, the 2020 edition, in front of me, and I just want to say mm. um, how lovely the book is, just in general. Um, how it's you know it's the pages are glossy, there's lots of color, bunch of pictures, loaded with information. It's a really fun thing to read. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I mean. The, the thing is, well, you know, it's probably very different if you read the book 20 years ago and, or 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, or even 60 years ago, the book has changed. But that, I think that's part of this, its success, really, is that we have moved along with the times. You know, what we are trying to do is reflect what society is doing. We're not, a, we're not an encyclopedia that, that preaches or tells you what the information is that you need to learn. Yeah. We reflect back what people are doing. And you have to change with the times. You know, we've got records for fidget spinning, fidget spinners. Yeah. Um, that are, you know, a trend that comes and goes. We've got bottle flipping because that's what people are doing. If people are doing it and they want to break records, then we're here to measure it. Yeah. And things that aren't now relevant get dropped out of the book. So we there's lots of things that we don't do that we used to do. Um, and things that, you know, like for bad taste, maybe times have changed or... Uh, like we don't do heaviest pets, for example. So we people send us images of these really fat, heavy dogs or cats, um, thinking that we would accept it. And we maybe have done, you know, twenty years ago, but we don't do it now because yeah. times have moved on. Yeah, and that's the key. We have to keep on moving. Well, the book looks a lot different than when I was younger. It does. It's a, well. First of all, it's now and now it's a, it's a very colorful, big coffee table sized book. Yeah, in the U.S., yeah. I mean, it's been quite a big book in the U.K., so we know it in the U.K. very similar to what you're you know, describing there. But I know in the U.S. it was very much more single-color, a dense, thick book, almost like a telephone directory yeah. um, of, of facts. Um, but the problem is that kids just don't buy that kind of stuff, you know, and figuratively or literally. Um, they want to see the color. They want it to be engaging. And we have to compete against, Marvel and Disney and all these huge brands. Yeah. Um, so we have to find ways of getting kids to read, and we'll do. So this year, for example, in the twenty-one edition, we've got uh, augmented reality, so you can take an augmented reality trip through the solar system. And um, the year before, um, you know, we had a, web, a lot of web connections. You can go from the book onto the website if you want. Uh, we've done three D glasses. We've done glow in the dark pages, poster pages, yeah, collectible trading cards, and whatever it is. As I say, to lure the kids into the book to make them realise that learning this way is fun. You know, it's it's, it's not even learning; it's just this sort of stealth learning. Yeah, um, and we'll play we'll play every trick in the book shamelessly <laughs> um, to get people to to read and enjoy the book. Yeah. Now, I would, as technology has grown and changed over the years, how has that affected? Not only uh, your coverage uh, and the book, but uh, people's uh, uh, attempts at world records. Talk talk about a little bit about how technology has changed that. Yeah, well, one fear, I suppose, and maybe an expectation is that because of the internet, it's now made the book maybe less valid. 
because everything is on the internet. But the problem with the internet is that literally everything is on the internet. Right. Um, so I defy anyone to go and search for the world's tallest woman on the internet because you will just not find a consistent answer anywhere. Um, same with the tallest man. How tall is the tallest man? Well, I'll tell you how tall he is. He's eight foot three because I measured him personally and there's photographs and video evidence. So what we provide is a bit of a filter to that huge tsunami of information that's overwhelming on the internet. Um, The internet's also helped us by, um, well, one, it's made books more accessible, so you can get hold of the book much more um, easily in terms of online retailing. Uh, But it's also shrunk shrunk the world because we can find people now. Like the world's shortest man um, at the time was in Nepal, and he was 70 years old, so he'd been the shortest man for a very long time. Um, and only through the internet we, we, we were able to access him because somebody walking through the village took a photograph, sent it to us. So within two days, we were in touch with this person and saying that we want to come and measure you. Uh, we, that would never have happened you know, before the internet. Um, but also the other thing that changes is people are doing record-breaking online now. So you can, I mean, in terms of things like Netflix have records, um, Spotify records of the artists who are putting music out digitally. That's a whole area that we now monitor. Um, and also people just uploading, you know, things like um, uploading selfies and stuff. That The records for all this kind of technology because it's there and people are doing it. And if they're doing it, we're here to measure it. Yeah. Okay. I, I, do you have any specific records that you find the strangest or the most fun to talk about? Um, I mean, I always, I always love the fingernail records. I mean, the amazing Lee Redmond of Salt Lake City um, was one that I read about as a child, and I just love uh, the chance to meet her. So when I took over as editor, one of the first things I wanted to do was get Lee to come to the London office, and we flew her over from from Salt Lake City and. Um, we had an amazing time like, seeing how someone lives with, you know, three foot long fingernails on every finger. Like, imagine yeah. having three foot of fingernails. Uh, now, you know, you, when and, you when you bring that up, Craig, I was just thinking, what kind of a flight was that? What are you sitting? Um, you're, you're sitting next to this guy on a on the plane. <laughs> Uh, what's his lead? So it's the longest, it's the female, uh, most longest fingernails on a female, uh, both hands. And she, what she said was that she can't fit into the toilet cubicles on the aircraft because she can't get into the room and turn around and lock the door properly. Oh man! So she just, she just has to be careful not to eat too much. The other <laughs> one um, was the tallest man. The tallest man. Um, he's eight foot three. I mentioned before, Sultan Kosen of Turkey. Yeah. He came to the UK and he struggled. Because there's no way if you're eight foot oh, three, come on, yeah. you're fitting in. <laughs> I struggle, and I'm five seven. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so he had to arrange. There's an elaborate arrangement of people holding up coats, uh, whilst he held the door open with his foot and did what he had to do, like across the aisle of the plane. Oh. <laughs> it was it was a very complicated wow. uh, arrangement, but uh, I, um, I, so yeah, we have. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Well, so Lee, Lee came to the office and she demonstrated how to how she made teas, she made sandwiches for us, she did all the washing up. She demonstrated how she went to the bathroom. I mean, it was an amazing couple of days with her. Yeah. Um, and then, amazingly, she lost the fingernails in a car crash. Oh, no! 
and which is terrifying for her. Yeah, oh. um, she does drive. She did drive, but she wasn't driving this time. But she lost the nails, um, and since then we've had a few record holders uh, take that uh, title. So in the twenty twenty one book, um, which you say um, was shortly on on sale, you'll you'll find um, a new record holder, also from the US actually, um, called Ayanna Williams, and she. Um, in total, has eighteen, almost nineteen foot of fingernails oh, on both her hands. So, wow! So this people do have this fascination for the fingernail record, and yeah. it's great to have her in the book again. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, Craig, it's been so much fun to talk about you. I can't wait till the new edition comes out. Um, it'll be available on September third, the Guinness Book of World Records for uh, two thousand twenty-one. Um, it's it's always a lot of fun to look at these things and talk about them, and, and it's uh, it's uh, it's worldwide. Uh, everybody loves it. Craig, it was uh, it was a real pleasure. Thank you for being on the show. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. Okay, uh, there you go, Craig uh, Glenday, editor in chief of the Guinness Book of World Records. So much fun. I love the Guinness Book of World Records. So the new edition is uh, the 2021 edition, and it's going to be available on September 3rd. Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. Uh, we are live on uh, and in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. Uh, it is a Wednesday morning, and every Wednesday morning at 3.30, we do a thing called Know Your Onion. Uh, we'll get two callers. First two in will be our contestants. They will play one round each. Tom is your host, and uh, he will read you a news headline, and you have to decide whether it's real or whether it's from the satirical newspaper the onion uh the, the news is weird nowadays as uh, as we all know and sometimes you can't tell the difference of whether it's uh, a real news headline or something just weird or strange from the onion and you win things things are one 312 is the phone number now we're talking about uh uh, pri- uh products that came back from the dead and uh what products or what stores would you like to see come back that you miss um, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Reason why is because CompUSA has lurched back from the grave. CompUSA, the computer retailer and Apple hardware vendor that went belly up over a decade ago, is back from the dead, featuring curated selections of technology deals. Um. Rather than uh, selling tech gear, CompUSA now just refers users to other sites for curated selection of tech items. You won't find all gear, but games, gaming systems, computers, TVs, headphones, um, uh, and more have uh, already been added to the new site. Currently in beta, CompUSA.com, which still uses the same vintage logo as its retired brick-and-mortar counterparts, allows registered users to set a price for an item that they're looking for and are notified the second it drops below that threshold. They can also get stock alerts as well as tech items, which may prove useful for gaming systems or new Apple gear. Um, CompUSA has a history starting in 1984 as Soft Warehouse before being renamed CompUSA in 1991. It was one of the few big box retailers uh, 
to stock Apple's higher-end products in conjunction with the Performa, Performa line that saturated the market elsewhere. For most of its life, it was derided by Apple users for poor after-sale support. By the mid-90s, it grew to a big nationwide big-box store with 229 locations, and during the 90s, it was one of uh, only a handful of locations that carried a large selection of boxed software for the Mac beyond home and educational basics. The chain was an early victim of the shift to online sales. Things quickly turned sour for the chain in the early 2000s when many locations closing down uh, and uh, the final few being converted into physical Tiger Direct establishments, many of uh, which have since closed. Eventually, the name was sold off, finding its way uh, to uh, just this past to Tuesday's uh, relaunch. So CompUSA is back. Yeah, when took a look. Yeah, yeah, it looks all right. Kind of thinks that you can't, you're not buying stuff from them, but they, it's a good place to find some deals. Well, at, I'll least, say that. at least they're doing something. You know what I mean? Yeah, my guess is that at some point, at some point, they're going to uh, transition to selling items. It's just that uh, that's a difficult business to get into off the ground. Yeah. Well, CompUSA is back. Boy, that brought back a memory. I haven't heard that. I haven't heard that that store name in years. CompUSA. I'm guessing. So that I mean, obviously, that went out of business uh, quite a while ago. But uh, was it was it kind of like you know Micro Center? You know Micro Center, right? Yeah. Is it kind of like that? Just like a tech warehouse? They just got tons of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I love Micro Center. So, uh, all right, CompUSA is back. So the question is. What uh, iconic products uh, or brands or stores you would would you like to see come back? What do you miss? What uh, products or stores do you miss that you would love to see make a comeback? 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. Phone lines are open. Let's hear from you. Here's Donna on WGN. Hi, Donna. Hi, Nick. When I was growing up for special occasions, we would buy Dressel's Frozen Cakes. They had a strawberry whipped cream cake, and they had a chocolate whipped cream cake, and it was they, they were both in, kept in the freezer. I have they, they went out of business, and I have not been able to find that strawberry whipped cream cake any place, and it was delicious. Oh, okay. And what was the name of the company again? Dressels. D-R-E-S-S-E-L-S. Oh, Dressels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Dressels. Yeah, I remember. Now the chocolate cake I found. In one of the suburbs on 95th Street, one of the local bakeries comes a close second to to the Dressels, but uh, the, the strawberry whipped cream is uh, gone, 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 and and not forgotten. Yeah. Okay. All right, Donna. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. All right, Dressels frozen strawberry cream cake. She misses it, Tom. I mean, it sounds delicious. Are there any uh, items or products or places that you would like to see come back? Um, I'm going to say, do you, do you remember Dunkaroos? I do. Yeah. I think, and I think they did bring them back for a period of time, but, uh, essentially like animal crackers, yeah. animal graham crackers, you dunk in like this frosting. It's in a little, little packet. Yeah. It was just the best. I thought it was so cool to have a Dunkaroos, man. Dunkaroos. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I remember, I remember the product never had it, but I remember the product. So, uh, which products or which places would you like to see make a comeback? 312-981-7200. You know, there used to be these restaurants that they were called the Millionaire's Club. Oh. And you had to be a member. 
You had to, you got a card and everything. My, my, my parents were members of the Millionaires Club. It was a restaurant slash bar. And I, and I guess you got deals if you had them. Does anybody remember the Millionaires Club? The Millionaires Club. There was Club. one in, it, right by the Golf Mill. Right by the Golf Mill Mall. And I know there were more than one. And I don't know. You, I guess you had to play, pay like um, a membership fee or something. And then you were part of the Millionaires Club. You had your card. And um, and uh, you, I guess you would get deals on on meals and things like that, or there were certain other perks. I'm not I'm not sure, but my parents did have the card. They had the they were members of the Millionaires Club. Yeah, they used to go to the one uh, I was I went with them a few times. They used to go to the one in uh, in Skokie, I guess, or Niles. So, uh, what products or, or or brands or places would you like to see brought back from the dead? And we've got some iconic products and brands. That have come back from the dead. From businessinsider.com. Um, so uh, 312-981-7200. What places or products would you like to see come back? 312-981-7200 uh, here on WGN. All right. Uh, when we come back, we'll jump into more products and brand brought back from the dead. And we want to take your calls, too. And remember, at 3.30, the first two people through on our phone uh, on our phone line, the Team Hockberg phone line, uh, will be the two contestants for this morning's round of Know Your Onion. All right, 312-981-7200, Nick DeGilio and WGN. Gilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, we head over to uh, Bradley Place, the TV side of WGN, get some early morning news from that great team, and then uh, Bob Surratt, the legend, at 5 o'clock for your morning drive. 312-981-7200, that's our phone number. We're talking about places and products uh, that have been brought back from the dead. And what would you like to see come back? Um, and then at 3.30, we're going to play a round of Know Your Onion uh, there you go. All right, let's see. Here is uh, Dan on WGN. Hey, Dan. Hey, how you doing? All right. Um, ye old tavern cheese. I don't know if you guys remember that at all. Uh, I had it as a teenager, and uh, I love it. It was a spreadable cheese. You put it on crackers, and uh, cannot find it anywhere. Can't find it anywhere. Ye old tavern cheese. Yeah, I don't know if it was a Chicago thing or what, but uh, I, I googled I, it and I can't find it. I vaguely remember it. I do. Yeah. Well, okay, Dan, you can actually you can get an empty jar of it on uh, eBay for about fifteen bucks if that could uh, <laughs> help you. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want one was inside the jar, but uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, fifteen bucks for an empty jar? Yeah, it's kind of crazy, huh? Jeez. All right. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, no problem. Okay, ye old tavern spreadable cheese. Why are you saying tavern? Isn't that what it says? Tavern. Tavern. Now now you're just doing it on purpose. Tavern. No, that's how I say it. <laughs> that's how I say it. You need to go back to school. Yeah, you don't learn that kind of talk in school. <laughs> uh, here's Joe on WGN. Hi, Joe. Hey, what's going on? Hey. Uh, I think we need more uh, cars that don't have screens in the dashboard. 
Cars that don't have screens in the dashboard. You buy even the smallest sub- subcompacts, whatever. Every car has got a screen in the dashboard. Whatever happened to, you know, fumbling around and looking for the heat and the radio and, and the dials and stuff. Now you have to be looking at the screen and working a computer while you're driving. I think it's ridiculous. Wow. All right. Have you seen, uh, Joe, have you seen those cars that have the uh, the hologram heads-up display that displays onto the actual uh, windshield? Yeah, I've seen. yeah. my grandfather had uh, one of the first ones on it. It was like 2006 Cadillac. And it was so dumb. It didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right, Joe, thanks. 312-981-7200. What products or what places would you like to see make a comeback that you miss? So what did you say? Dunkaroos? Yeah, Dunkaroos. Or I'll say there's a place in Crystal Lake uh, called Leaping Lizards. Leaping lizards. Yeah, it's kind of like a Chuck E. Cheese sort of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, what I mean. Yeah, and uh, uh, closed down years and years ago. They turned it into like a laser tag arena, which was pretty cool. But Do they still have laser tag? I think so. They should because laser tag is the greatest thing of all time. Um, but that leaping lizards is where I broke my nose when I was like six. Doing what? I ran into a kid's forehead. Well, that's going to break your nose. Yeah, no, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bad break. Wow. All right. 312-981-7200. We're talking about products or places that went away and you would like them to come back. Uh, here's Bob on WGN. Hey, Bob. Hey, good morning, Nick. Hey, hey uh, I'm thinking um, I have a hard time having someone remember these, but since you bartended for a lot of years and you drank, up for a long amount of time. Remember an item called cheese waffles? Cheese waffles? Yeah, they were. They they came in like a. Uh, they were like a fry, a freeze dried cheese. Uh, like it was like a cheese whiz. Uh, between two like a like waffles. Oh yeah 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 yeah. I remember those. Yeah. Yeah, they sold them at the bars all the time. And how about this one? Remember KO, the chocolate drink? I think KO is still around. Yeah, you could get that some places. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Cheese, but cheese waffles, I know you would remember them because you're, you're my age group. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they, they sold those at bars all the time, and they used to be awesome. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. They, but they, I, they they sold them not, not just at bars. They were sold in regular stores, too. Because uh, I remember eating them when I was a kid, and I clearly wasn't going to bars when I was a kid. So, uh, all right, Bob, thanks. 312-981-7200 is the number. Here are some of the things in the Business Insider that uh, their iconic products uh, that brands are, uh, are are brought back from the dead. Are you ready for this? Crystal Pepsi. Crystal Pepsi? That's That's an iconic product? Crystal Pepsi ruled the shelves of the U.S. in the early 90s, but by 1994, the proliferation of countless copycats, including Coca-Cola tabs clear, um, had saturated the colorless soda category. Pepsi officially renewed the short-lived soda, uh, inspired by overwhelming fan demand. It was. Uh, they also offered Crystal Pepsi through a sweepstakes that they held in 2015-2016 initiative Represented a broader retail push for a limited time. So it was a limited time for Crystal Pepsi. Mm-hmm. You ever have Crystal Pepsi? Uh, I did not. 
Uh, I did used to watch videos of people cracking open bottles of Crystal Pepsi that they had saved from like the early '90s and drinking them. Yep. What, what the? What is wrong with people? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what was worse, uh, them actually doing it or me staying around to watch it. Yeah, just you watching it. Uh, here's Steve on WGN. Hey, Steve. Yeah, uh, I got two things for you. One of them was uh, the White Hand Pantries because they had the best coffee out there as far as uh, anything that's around. And another one, I, you'll probably, you might remember this. Remember Big John Beans? Big John Beans. Yeah, it had beans and fixing. It was a can that was a Oh, can. yeah, and it had two cans that were, like, uh, together. Right. Yeah. Right. Those are awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I, I tried to Google them up, and nobody's got them. And they, yeah, I, we, used to, we used to have that in our house all the time. I, I remember yeah. we had that in our house and all the time, yeah. Oh, those are awesome. Yeah. And they told you how there was one. If you like those, tried it. It was one of these other products they got out now. And I tried it, and no, it ain't anything like that. All right. Thanks, Steve. Uh, all right, bye-bye. Yeah, take care. Chris is on WGN. Hi, Chris. Hey, how you doing, Nick? All right, what's up? I'm sorry. You ever heard, uh, I got a few things that need to come back. Uh, you remember Showbiz Pizza? Yes, I do. I remember Showbiz Pizza. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know the jingles of it, where a kid can be a kid? Yep. Yeah, I think Chuck E. Cheese is with their successor. Yep. And uh, you ever heard of Dan and Crazy Crunch, like the yogurt back in the 90s? Yeah, yep, I remember it. The, the Crazy Crunch. They need to bring that back. And they need to bring back uh, Montgomery Ward, Ward and um, <laughs> Circuit City and Myers Arnold. Yep. All right. Thanks, Chris. Montgomery Ward, that was my first credit card. Mm, that's my what, what was your limit? Do you remember? 500 bucks. Yeah, that's a good starter. Yeah. Five hundred bucks, if I if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know Showbiz was the uh, predecessor to oh, yeah. Chuck E. Cheese because when you said where a kid could be a kid, I'm like, ah, it's Chuck E. Cheese. Now that's that was Showbiz. Showbiz was big, man. It was it was big in the pizza industry. Daniel is on WGN. Hey, Daniel. Hey, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I'm actually glad I'm following up from that previous caller because he touched up on yogurt, and this is what I'd love to see come back: yogurt covered peanuts. Now, gentlemen, I understand why it was taken off the shelves immediately following, like, a big peanut allergy awareness campaign, along with just uh, dairy allergy awareness. Those two things combined together, I understand why you don't see it on the shelves anymore, but honestly, they taste so much better than yogurt-covered raisins. Yeah. And I'd love to see that come back personally. Okay. All right, Daniel, thanks. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Um, Tim is here on WGN. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I was thinking about the store. The other gentleman mentioned uh, Monkey Wards. I was thinking about Goldblatt. Oh, Goldblatt's. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> how about you couldn't get it? You couldn't get any better than them. Goldblatt's. How about Zare? You remember Zare? I remember Zare. Do you remember Community or Shopper's of World? Yeah, of course yeah. I do. We used to go to Community all the time, all the time. All right, yep. thanks, thanks, yep. Tim. No problem. And then uh, here's Jill on WGN. Hi, Jill. I have two. One I thought of while I was sitting here online. Um, Quisp cereal. Quisp. I think you could still get Quisp. Can you? Quisp. I don't know. I can't remember the last time I've seen Quisp. I, I, I know, know what it is. I don't know. Because it had the little alien dude. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Quisp. it was like a propeller on his head. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. Yeah, you could yeah. definitely yeah. get Quisp. Yeah, you can get you Quisp. Can? Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe yeah. I just. 
I'm not shopping at the right places. <laughs> um, and then the, the other pl- place I thought of was, um, do you remember, it was right by Kittyland. It was um, the Miniature Golf on North Avenue there. Yeah, yeah, I North remember it. Man, that was so fun because it was like, um, it was just one of the real novelty kind of reminds me of um parking you know where they have all the different yeah. novelty ones a lot of the miniature golf now are just like landscape kind of things you know what i mean where it's actual golf but i just remember that as a kid just being um it was just so super fun because it was just so they had such oddball things well there's a there's a there's a, a really still cool miniature golf um uh, uh range uh in lincolnwood Right by the yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. The parking, the bunny like hutch. That, it's, it's similar the, to that. Yeah, yeah, the bunny hutch. Yeah. It's, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. So all right, well, thanks. Bunny Jill. hutch too. Yeah. Yeah. Take care. All right, uh, let's get uh, our first two callers. For uh, you ready for uh, know your onion? All right. So here's the deal. First two callers in right now. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. First two callers in will be our contestants for know your onion. Yeah, man. Def Leppard. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. How are you? We're live in the Skyline studio. We're going to get back to our topic that we were talking about, iconic products and places and brands that uh, you want to see come back from the dead. And we've got a bunch more here that uh, iconic products and brands that are being brought back. But it is Wednesday, and it is after 3.30, and this is when we play Know Your Onion. We get two contestants on. We have them on the line right now. And they each play around. Tom will read some news headlines, and then it's up to them to decide whether they are real or from the satirical comedy newspaper, The Onion. Tom, are you ready to begin the festivities? It's time to know your onion! Ah, yes. Finest band in late night. All right. Uh, shall we begin, Tom? Yes, sir. All right. Our first contestant is Tara. Hi, Tara. Hi. Hi. Uh, are you familiar with The Onion? I am. Okay, good. So you just have to figure out whether these news uh, items are real, headlines are real, or from uh, The Onion. All right, uh, Tom? All right, Tara. Your first headline, bird deaths down 70% after painting wind turbine blades. Is that real or is that the onion? I think it's real. Let's see. Very good, Tara. Ah. Yeah. There you go, Tara. Nice job. Something as simple as black paint could be the key to reducing the number of birds that are killed each year by wind turbines. According to a study conducted at a wind farm in Norway, changing the color of a single blade on a turbine from white to black resulted in a 70% drop in the number of bird deaths. Wow. That's great. Yeah. It's for the birds, you know. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Congratulations, Sarah. You got the first one right. Okay. All right. Two more right, and you're a winner. Go ahead. Your next headline, Tara Doritos introduces new miscellaneous flavor. Is that real or is that the onion? Uh, Real. Let's see. No. 
That's, That's the, the onion. onion. Yes. Miscellaneous. <laughs> hey, it's positive. All right. Uh, you got one wrong and one right, Tara. Here we go. All right. All right. Your next headline, Tara. New identification app lets hikers categorize all corpses they encounter on Nature Trail. Is that real or is that the onion? Oh, gross. Um, that's, that's the onion. Let's see. No, no, no. Uh, uh, I, I'm going to need a final answer. Real, real. You're going with real. Okay. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 You should have stuck with your first right. instinct, Tara. I thought so. Uh-huh. That's okay. All right. One more wrong and you you can't win. All but, right. But everybody's a winner anyway, but go ahead. All right. Your next headline, Tara. Americans can't stop shoving pizza into their faces. Is that real or is that the onion? Okay, this is for sure real. Let's see. Excellent! Very good. Where's that from? It's <laughs> from CNN. CNN put that as a headline? Absolutely. CNN Business. America's pandemic-induced love affair with pizza shows no signs of slowing down. Uh, the pizza chain Papa, Don, Papa John's said Tuesday that its North American sales rose 24% over the past four weeks. Internationally, sales were so strong, jumping 23% for the same period. Yep. I've ordered some pizzas in this time, I gotta say. Uh, I have ordered some pizzas. All right, Tara. You, uh, you got two right and uh, two wrong, so this is it. This is the last one, and if you get it right, you're, you're, you're queen for the day. Yep, on. All right. All right, Tara, your next headline. Final headline. AMC immediately recloses after seven-year-old who ate too many Sour Patch Kids pukes all over the movie theater. Is that real or is that the onion? Sounds real. I think that could happen. Let's see. Oh, no! Oh, no! No way. No. That's definitely that the, is onion. the onion. Oh, Tara. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Right, in the yeah, all right. Okay, Tara. <laughs> we thank you for playing, but we're going to give you a consolation prize anyway. Uh, you got a $25 gift certificate to uh, Mykonos Greek Restaurant. Family owned and operated for 40 years in Niles. Enjoy the best Greek food in the north suburbs for carryout or delivery and outdoor patio dining. Uh, order at GreekRestaurantsChicago.com or you can call 847 296 6777. Mykonos Greek Restaurant gift certificate. Okay, Tara? Best patio around. Thank you. It's awesome. Okay, you got to hang on, okay? All right, thank you. All right, hold the line, Tara, like Toto. All right. Are we ready for the next contestant? Yep. Kathy on WGN. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Nick. Hi. You familiar with The Onion? I am. Okay. So you just got to figure out whether these news headlines are real or from The Onion. All right, Tom, ready. All right, Kathy. Your first headline, Congressional Republicans grill postmaster over mailboxes censoring conservatives. Is that real or is that the onion? That sounds real. Let's see. No, that is the onion. That's the onion. Wow. All right, Kathy, one wrong. Got to get some more right here. Here we go. All right, Kathy, your next headline, French minister defends precious right to sunbathe topless. Is that real or is that the onion? Could you repeat that, please? Sure thing. French minister defends precious right to sunbathe topless. Is that real or is that the onion? Real. Let's see. Very good. 
Yes. Fran- right. France's interior minister has defended the quote-unquote precious right to sunbathe topless on beaches after police asked a group of women to cover up on the southern coast. Wow. All <laughs> right. Yeah, that sort of thing. It's very All European right. of them. All right, Kathy, we got one right. Got it. All right, Kathy, your next headline. Russian Orthodox Church considers ending blessings for nuclear weapons. Is that real or is that the onion? Onion. Let's see. That's real. That's That's definitely real. Definitely real. All right. So how many does Kathy get? Kathy's got two wrong and one right, right? Yeah, two Two wrong wrong and one right. Okay, you got to get this one right, Kathy. All right. Your next headline, study finds gap widening between rich pets and poor Americans. Is that real or is that the onion? (laughs) Rich pets and poor Americans. That's real. Let's see. Oh, God! No! God, please, no! 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 Oh, Kathy. All right. All right. Well, everybody's a winner, Kathy. You got a uh, $75 gift certificate to Green Tea Home Services. While you're spending so much time at home, take advantage of Green Tea Carpet Cleaning Service, Air Duct Purification, or Garage Door Maintenance. You can call 805-GREEN-TEA or go to greenteaservices.com. Congrats, and hold the line, okay, Kathy? Thank you. Okay, there you go. All right. So uh, that's it. We'll do it again next week. So study up on your real headlines and your onion headlines. And then next uh, next Wednesday at uh, at 3.30, once again, we will uh, play a round of Know Your Onion. Fun game. We love doing it. And there you go. All right. Why don't we take a uh, break and then we'll wrap up the show. We're going to go back to iconic products and places and brands that are making a comeback. They're back from the dead. What would you like to see come back? 312-981-7200. We'll get in here and talk about some uh, places and brands that you uh, would like to see come back from the dead. All right. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. I don't have the weather. We'll get it in the in the 4 o'clock news. Basically, it's going to suck, and it's going to be really, really hot for the next few days. So that's, that's the summation of the weather. All right. <laughs> Uh, favorite places and favorite brands that you would like to see make a comeback. 312-981-7200. My mama told me She said son Please beware all right, Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN, and uh, we're live in the Skyline studio until 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, we uh, always head over uh, to um, Bradley Place to get some uh, news and information from that uh, group of people over there uh, out from the TV side, and then at 5 o'clock, you've got Bob Surratt. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. We're jumping back into the topic of products or places that you would like to see come back from the dead. Businessinsider.com put together uh, a group of them. Coca-Cola Surge. Uh, Coca-Cola originally introduced Surge in 1996, but took it off the market in 2003 after a successful year-long pilot program on Amazon. The company then re- company reintroduced the product, created in the 90s to compete with Pepsi's Mountain Dew across select stores. The comeback was in response to the huge fan movement online called the Surge Movement which lobbied for the company to bring back their favorite drink. The brand eventually uh, listened, using the relaunch 
as an opportunity to not just uh, appeal to past customers, but to also recruit new fans that the so the the sodas engaged in passionate Facebook group community. Surge Superfans is what they were called. So I'm assuming that Sir, you know, the name of it, Coca-Cola Surge, would indicate that it's got uh, more sugar and more caffeine than regular Coca-Cola. 1996 it was introduced, and it made a comeback. Um, all right, here is a Bakery Guy. Go ahead, Bakery Guy. Morning, Nick. How are you? I'm all right. Go ahead. How's your dad? Um... The parking that the woman was talking about earlier, it moved from Morton Grove to up on Milwaukee Avenue in Apicistic. Oh, okay. So it did move. Yeah, it's still going. Oh. And what I miss is the local bowling centers. Local bowling centers? You know, like the neighborhood ones? Yeah, they don't like have... Irving they don't, and all those. They don't have those anymore? I know Timber Lanes is on Irving, and that's still that's going. That's about the last one. In, in 2004, I sat with an, uh, the owner of Fireside, and we counted 34 places that closed. Really? Well, what about the... Monte Cristo, Irving. Waveland is open, right? Waveland, yeah. But I'm talking about, the, like, Norridge, Montclair. Yeah. Monte Cristo, Drake, Karlov. All right. Irving Park Lanes. Irving Park Lanes. I remember Irving Park Lanes. Okay, thanks. I, I work there. Thanks, bakery guy. Bye. All right. Uh, th- things or products that you wish would come back that you miss. Here's uh, Joe on WGN. Hey, Joe. Hey, how you doing, Nick? All right. So, uh, you know, growing up, uh, my, you know, it was a big family that I was in. So my mom had six of us. And, you know, she'd every once in a while take us out to eat. And we'd always go to Ponderosa. Sure. Ponderosa. So, and I missed that chicken. Ponderosa was great. I loved it growing up, you yeah, know? Yeah, we used to go to Ponderosa. Yep. Good old Pondy. That's the. Uh... <laughs> yep. All right, Joe. Thanks. All right, thank you, Nick. Yep. Uh, Ponderosa, one of those uh, cafeteria-style steakhouses that were very, very popular. There used to be one on Addison right next to right next to the, the to, to Lane Tech. It was right across the street from the football field, the Lane Tech football field, and it was called The Forge. We used to go to that one because it was not very far from where we live because I grew up on Addison near, near Lincoln. And so, you know, to go to Addison and Western's a quick drive, but we would go to The Forge. But there, of course, is Sizzler. Uh, yeah. But Ponderosa was a real popular one, I remember. My ex-girlfriend used to call it Pondy. And then there's Sizzler. I think, there's, I think Sizzlers are still around. Going to Sizzler. Going to Sizzler from uh, White Man Can't Jump. Um, all right, items that uh, are making a comeback that were dead. The Nokia 3310. There's no way uh, that you or your mom or your sister or at least your uncle have not owned this handset at some point. Nokia's new license, HMD Global, paid homage to the former phone giant by making a nostalgia play and relaunching one of the most iconic products, the Nokia 3310. The almost indestructible device uh, was released first back in 2000 and then went to sell a staggering 126 million units. 
the same company that manufactures the iPhone Foxconn uh, is manufacturing the revamped 3310. Oh. All right. Let's see. 312-981-7200. Here's Manny on WGN. Go ahead, Manny. Yeah, um, maybe before your time, but there was this chain of fast food restaurants in the city, very popular, before McDonald's was run. Henry's Hamburgers? Yeah, I remember Henry's. Oh, you do remember that. Good, okay. Yeah. They've been gone for quite a while. Oh, it's been gone for a long time. They would kick McDonald's butt if they were around for Henry's. They were, yeah, they were gone for a long time. Yeah. Right. Okay, Okay. thank you. All right, thanks, Henry. Or Manny. Henry, I called him Henry. Okay, in this article, they actually mentioned Zima. Who the hell wants Zima back? Who wanted <laughs> Zima back? Who wanted Zima in the first place? God, I remember I was bartending at Ginger's when Zima first hit. Oh, <laughs> jeez. Uh, uh, and we had to give that stuff away. Just no one wanted it? Because it was crap. Well, yeah, I just, I, you know, I figured maybe... Oh, we Some we, kids we had trying like, to get there in. was there was a special on there was a special on Zima every night after after it became a joke. I remember I tried a Zima once and I was like, "What is this? What does it taste? I've never had a Zima. What did it taste like? Crap? <laughs> can, can you tell me more specifically, or just crap? It was like fruity or really uh, it was like sweet. boozy. It wasn't very no, it wasn't very boozy. It was sweet. It just was terrible and had a bad aftertaste. Okay. Zima was also part of the clear craze of the 90s in the ranks of Crystal Pepsi and Tab Clear, except with an alcoholic kick. <laughs> it was a clear malt liquor from Miller's Coors. It hit the market in 93, enjoyed a swift rise, and then faded into eventual oblivion, being pulled off the shelves in 2008. It lasted till 2008? Good Lord. Who was drinking Zima until 2008? I don't know. College co-eds? Uh, the comeback is an obvious nostalgia play for the brand. The ad campaign touting the return of the full night with full '90s references, everything uh, to Frosted Tips and beyond. Frosted Tips. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I don't think people. I can't even imagine somebody wanting Zima to come back. I think it was just for the uh, the novelty of the whole thing. Mostly, especially Crystal Pepsi. Who wants Who wants Crystal Pepsi? No one really. Yeah. But but yeah, no. But we were put, we were like. It was like a buck a bottle at one point. We were just like, because we had like cases of, of the yeah, crap. It was like and a we could, fire sale. We're like, get it out of here. We just want to get the Zima out of here. Damn Zima. It sounds like something you might take for a for a headache. It's like. The name of it? Yeah, the name Zima. I don't know where Zima, I don't know yeah. where the name comes from. Probably more likely to give you a headache than anything. Uh, how about Soda Stream? You may never have heard of Soda Stream before Scarlett Johansson. But the machine was pretty popular in the 80s. It faded into obscurity in the mid-90s until Israeli firm uh, breathed a new lease of life into it and relaunched upgraded versions of the original SodaStream machine in 41 countries. I don't understand. Is SodaStream, I mean, did they mention Scarlett Johansson because the SodaStream talk? No, no, no. It's uh, because I think she was a salesperson, like she was in commercials. I think she was in commercials for SodaStream. No, not in the 80s. She would have been like 10. Well, no, I think when it got brought back from the oh. dead, because you wouldn't have heard of it before Scarlett oh. Johansson. Oh, yeah. I don't remember this at all. Yeah, I don't. And I, and, I, and I try to remember everything that Scarlett Johansson yeah. does. 
Well, I didn't realize that Soda Stream was went back that far. That's really far back. It was in the eighties, yeah. Yeah, and I know it's fairly popular now, not exceedingly popular, but it's a cool um, idea. Steve Madden Slinky. <laughs> Steve Madden re-released the iconic platform slides, the ubiquitous style statement uh, of a whole generation of teenage girls in the nineties. The new Slinky does come with practical adjustments, while the classic sandal. And chunky heel and stitching on the sole. The new version features flat bottom platform and a smooth sole. So they're not referring to the toy slinky. No, because that no, never no. went Steve, away. Yeah, Steve Madden. Those are big. Those are real big. I don't even know what that means. Uh, they're a shoe company. Oh, okay. Um, if I know you don't like the Wolf of Wall Street, but if you remember the Wolf of Wall Street, I do. I do not. Okay, that's it, the- By the way, that screening I went to, it's still running. <laughs> Anyway, that's the the IPO that they the initial public offering that they that oh, they okay. do through Stratton Oakmont. How about Levi's five hundred five? Wearing them right now. Wait, what five hundred five? They were first launched in nineteen sixty seven. They enjoyed their heyday during a height the height of counterculture movement in, in San Francisco, but they came back, and you're wearing one right now. Yeah, I'm wearing a pair of five hundred fives. Okay, Nintendo Game Boy. You cannot call yourself a 90s kid if you did not spend hours playing Tetris and Super Mario on Nintendo Game Boy. The console was ridiculously popular. It sold a whopping 118 million units. Game Boy disappeared in 2003, but uh, it has come back uh, to thanks to a company called Retrobit, which is reviving it. All right, and then uh, Polaroid. It was the best-selling camera of 1977, the Polaroid camera. So now it's back. And then Mad Libs. Mad Libs went away? Kind of. They fell out. They fell into relative obscurity. I think really? They, I think they stopped printing new ones for a little while. Mad Libs is fun. I lo- who doesn't love Mad Libs? Yeah. I never, I never knew it went away. According to Penguin, Mad Libs sales increased 74%, and the app has been downloaded over 5.5 million times. Wow. All right. Uh, yeah. So, what's uh, what's coming up on the show uh, for the Thursday night? The, th- Thursday morning? F- yes. The Gizwiz himself, oh. Mads Mattis writer, Dick Bay Bartolo. Dick D. Bartolo Dick is going to join, join us to talk gadgets and gizmos. Yeah, so we'll be hanging out with him. And uh, he's great. I love Dick D. Bartolo. Very, very cool guy and uh, always a fun guest. 